Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Zephist motorcycle podcast on the internet. Zephist? Zeph. Google, the, Google this. Dear is, listener. Is this a Google South African Zeph. thing? This is a South African thing. Hmm. Zeph is going to hit the U.S. like a hurricane. Like this is going to be the thing that the hipsters are doing, that millennials are going to be doing in like three months time, guaranteed. This South African, Afrikaner, 80s punk remix lifestyle trend thing and it's horrible and it's great all right so i think most of the a and r asphalt and rubber listeners know what i've been up to but no one knows what you've been up to let's start with you 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 go first age before beauty yeah um beauty and age what a strange thing because we're we're both so beautiful and we're aged, is, we've it, aged so well and we've aged we're like formaldehyded <laughs> pig's feet you're like no oh, 20 years later it still looks edible <laughs> oh god um I have been a lot of dirt bike stuff, as you can imagine. Uh, I've gone out to the Tillamook Range twice on my own, which is really dangerous. Just by yourself? Yeah. That is a little dangerous. It is. I just is like, you know, after work and the sun is out just enough now. And I'm like, I, I'm my midsection is nice and plump. And I'm like, I need to get some exercise. And I'm not the type of person that just goes and works out. So I need to do something. So I was like, at least I'm going to go get the blood flowing. You at the gym would be something to watch. Oh, God. I think that'd be great. Why? Why do you say that? Well, first, I just imagine you with like 12 sweatbands, like headbands and wristbands. and yeah, I would have to. And yeah, just sure. like kind of I like, don't sweat that much. I know you sweat a lot. I sweat, I, but I have sweater. the hair yeah. that would make it look pretty fucking sweet with that if I had the, the sweatband the around ponytail it. swinging. Yeah, right? Yeah, oh, look good. God. All right. That's gross. I don't want you, I don't want to think about you thinking about me at the gym. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it was a long trip, Quentin. <laughs> Had a lot of time in the air. <laughs> so that's been that for me. A couple of rips out there, which are good. And then going out to the Desert 100, uh, the Dessert 100 is tasty uh, out in central Washington, which I did last year for Alta, did uh, demo rides for yeah. a couple of days. And that was good. And as always, or as it was last year, a very good indication that the industry is boiling with people that are riding a lot of motorcycles. And on the dirt side, it was impressive to see, you know, 3,000 of our good friends in the desert, all with trailers, all with RVs, all with campers, all the gear. I mean, so we were looking up, we were at the top of this like gravel pile and looking down and somebody I was with, I forget who it was, was like, Look at every single one of these things and think about where the money is. Yeah. And it was like, you could just start 20,000, 20,000, 40,000, 70,000, 20,000, 80,000, right? You could, and for, for as far as the eye could see, or the millions upon millions upon millions of dollars worth of stuff, it's like, well, somebody's got it, or this is part of the industry that's okay, you know? So that was interesting. It was good. Um, no issues, all good. And that's really pretty much it. That and the normal regional repping stuff. And that's all I've got going on. Right on. I was talking to some people over the course of my journeys about um, the industry. And <clears throat> it's interesting to see there does seem to be a little bit of a buzz about 2018 that maybe sales are going to be up this year. And I don't, and I haven't had anyone really articulate well why they think that's the case, but the industry seems to be acting like that. Yeah. But it was interesting to hear someone was telling me that the tire industry, 
was down 20% last year. You know, the other day I was thinking about this when people were talking about new sales, right? right. We're, we're always trying right. to gauge the industry right. on new sales. I like where you're going with this. Right? And then you gauge the industry on trying to find used sales, which is tough because you got Craigslist people and all yeah. that stuff, right? The real gauge would be consumables. I want to see, yeah. if from a health of industry, who is riding motorcycles. And if, if we could get to Dunlop and Pirelli and say, okay, on-road, off-road, mixed-use, where are the tires being bought? What's going on? So I don't know who tracks it, but that number is something that's tracked. And I think if you had to pull out a number that represents the motorcycle, the health of the motorcycle industry, the best, it would be new tire sales. Yep. Because it is, yep. like you said, it's very hard to track used bike sales. You can try and do it through DMV and things like that, but you're going to lose out on yeah. the guys that are riding dirt bikes that yep. are off-road only, yep. that yep. it's just bill of sale and, sure. you know, just... Fly you can try, night. and maybe you can see a trend with it, but that's what I'm saying. On the dirt bike side, but, there's a lot of boiling stuff going on, which isn't a lot of money compared to what it would be if it was full-on super bikes. Yeah. But still, it's something. And maybe that just indicates where the people are going. Like myself, I've let my street bike stuff fairly well languish, right? I ride dirt bikes more than... than and I'm. it's weird for me to turn into that, but... It makes the most sense for me, and it works well for me. Of course, I work for a company. Yeah, of course I'm going to do that. But I still miss my road bike stuff, and I wish I could get my shit together to go to a track day. You can get your shit together, Quentin. I do. I do. There's just... there's like someone in an Aprilia office right now. Well, like, yes! Yeah, right? <laughs> ah, zinger! The tides have turned! So, yeah, I think it'd be uh, very cool to see that. I mean, it's not like... You know, maybe it would be an amalgamation of tires and brake pads or just parts unlimited how is parts unlimited doing well if you go by what Tuckeraki, well they're having a little bit of trouble the you know, mag group thing has just started to wind they just, up they just right? came out of their bankruptcy they yeah. came out of it yeah so but is that really a good indication no. they could be selling all no. kinds of shit but not doing a good job at it right i mean them having to go into bankruptcy obviously shows that there's some issues in the industry because part of that was we thought the industry was going up when in fact it went down we got yeah. caught with our pants around our ankles we've had to go through bankruptcy but for 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 my usage, and, the, and it's the only number I see track because they every now and then you'll hear about new new tire sales. Yeah, that for me really is the bellwether on how the motorcycle industry is doing. That's the canary in the cage, and you could probably look at other consumables like oil or well, you can't really look at chains and sprockets because not everything has a chain and sprocket. But oil is the only thing that comes to my mind immediately. But yeah, but you don't see those numbers. But tire sales that that is going to equate perfectly to People putting miles on their bikes. Yep. So it's not just like, hey, I bought a bike. It's no, I am riding my motorcycle. I'm engaged in the industry. I'm out doing the thing. I am a motorcyclist, not just a motorcycle owner. Yeah. So that for me really shows like the enthusiasm, the growth, the you know, new tires mean people are buying bikes or riding bikes. Maybe they bought a bike off Craigslist and needs new tires. So that's a very important metric. So to hear that that was down 20%. In 17 or this year? For 2017. Yeah. Sales last year. Yeah. That's insane balls. Uh, I believe sales right now are flat-ish. From, from last year, which was already. From low. last year. Mm. So that's where I'm kind of going like, everyone's kind of acting like 2018 is going to be this great year and it's gearing up for it, but no one can really articulate why. And I'm a little worried that we're just trying to like, and we were talking about this before the show in a different context, but fake it till they make it. Like, hey, let's just act like it's going really well, and maybe it will be. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of I don't know. There's a lot of legitimacy to that. It's it's a strange psychological effect of 
we're doing good being being optimistic we're going to do good right you hear that before it's like the the team getting ready to go you know, they, yeah. it's not like you're going to say we really need to talk about what happens when we fail yeah you need to understand that but you need to really talk about how you're going to send it right and in this case i don't know but i i've had a lot of dealership a lot and again my dealership network has changed greatly from what i used to deal with which was high end euro sport bike based stuff to now um, high end euro dirt and general duty dirt dealerships that are very focused on that. So my lens is a bit different than it used to be. And everybody in my realm is stoked. Of course, it doesn't hurt because Alta is selling a lot of these new bikes, but I am asking about in general what's going on. And so one of them recently was like, dude, we did $10,000 on a Friday and, and, early April. That's not normal. Yeah. We, like we were stoked. And this is over the parts counter. So is it parts counter stuff? And a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's not, a, uh, you know, like you talk about a bellwether for them. They want to see new unit sales. I could give a shit about new unit sales. I am like the polar opposite of a Lemko boot licking asshole that only looks at new unit sales as the good thing. I think it's horrible. I'm not, I'm the anti new sales person. I want to see used stuff and service doing well because that means people are riding their bikes and using stuff and I love it, right? Man, there's like five things there I want to talk about. I, I should I left my laptop on the counter because I'm you can do in, it in computer Jensen, health. Summon so up me, all of those me, brain cells. Let me let me summon my 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 beautiful <laughs> mind. Um, <laughs> use all my my faculties. So, I will say that the one thing that I have heard is the push that 2018 seems to be a good year is coming from the dealers. It, it's it's being dealer driven, and that in turn means that they're feeling it from their customers. They're calling up yeah. their people, their their regulars are coming in, they're interested in buying bikes. So they're feeling something coming through the doors of their dealerships that's getting them excited about 2018. And that seems to be what's permeating into the industry and be like, yeah, my local dealers are hot this year. They're feeling they're they're gonna buy up uh, you know, 10% more tires or 10% yeah, more sure. oil or or yeah, their their purchase order for our OEM was yeah. was, you know, 20 bikes more than last year. Yeah. We're feeling good. We're feeling good. So maybe that's maybe that that feeling is real and it's just me being removed from the dealership experience that doesn't feel it and 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 you being closer to it can, yeah. can see it. So maybe that's maybe that is palpable. Maybe that's something that's not just us faking it till we make it. Maybe there is something there that that should be at least addressed and thrown into the conversation. The other thing that you mentioned and it's going to take me a minute to recall it. What were you talking about? Oh, oh, oh. It was something about new bike sales. And not being, ah, I got it. So I don't know how you, it's been like, my brain's a little too gobbled to remember how you brought this, the prompt of this. But it is this idea that um, the industry in a way has given up on the lower price points of motorcycles. And we we do get so obsessed with new bike sales, new bike sales, new bike yeah. sales. That's what it was. It was you, yeah. you talking about new bike sales. And that has become such like the metric that we chase to gauge the industry's health in a way. And and it really is like a false metric. It's another one of those like metrics like you, it's important. You definitely need to track it. But if you live and die by it going down or up and down, you're, you're not getting the whole story. You're using it to extrapolate something else yeah. and it can lead you astray because it doesn't perfectly extrapolate. And I think new bike sales is, is like a great example of that because We've abandoned the lower price points. We've abandoned the newer models. And I think a lot of new riders are looking at used bikes more than they are new bikes. 
and the surgence of used bike sales has been something that has really been left behind in the industry in our analysis. So we sit there and we look at, oh, Harley Davidson sales are down 8%. Oh my God, what do we do? Okay, well, what were used Harley Davidson sales? I don't have that number for you and I can't tell you what it is, but that's that's where this tire sure. number comes back back into it where it's like, well, we're missing this component and we need to extrapolate it in some sort of way. And tire sales is a great way of doing that. And you know, that needs to be a conversation that we have more about the industry. Like, let's talk more about what's happening in the used market than what's going on in the new market. Because we can even look at um, uh, our local dealer here, Moto Corsa, that, you know, we used, used to work on the used side. Uh-huh. They sold as many used bikes as they did new bikes. Uh-huh. And so, at this time of year, and I just talked to them, they're selling, it's like, I don't know, they'll sell, they'll sell nine used and three new at this time of year. Yeah. Uh, because they're pushing. They're doing the advertisement specific to that. They want to use that because they know this at this time of year, this is the thing where most people are going. They're not coming and looking for the new stuff yet because you don't necessarily have it. And you're just going to end up sitting there in the rain waiting for it for another month, right? So the, there's not that many people doing it. Whereas next month when it's boiling and the and the uh, the temperatures come up, et cetera, et cetera, that's when yeah. they're going to get more, right? And that's not the case for every dealership. I mean, no, we're just using sure. them as an example. But but that is that is a thing. And if it's not at the dealership level, it's on Craigslist, it's on message forums, it's on yeah. whatever that, that local system is. By the way, if you're in the market for a used hypermotard in the Pacific Northwest, I have one. 939 or 59? 939 SP. 939 SP. Ne- never wheelied. Single owner. Garage capped. Um, you know, I know a guy. Good How team. much do you want for that thing? I don't know. We'll talk. I have to. It'll be interesting to see where the market's at with it. Um, one thing I want to make note of on this is that, of course, this is cyclical. We've seen that happen. I've, I've been watching it happen for 20 years, but it's been happening since the dawn of production of motorcycles. You get... Uh, slumps in sales, and I'm sure they'll get a bump up uh, in used sales when the new is down, right? It's going to happen. Um, you get fads come and go. One thing that I think has changed is uh, is how used bikes are perceived and how used bikes actually are as far as you buy a used bike now, the chances of being able to go quite far and do quite well with a used bike because of the quality level because of fuel injection, yeah, fuel injection can still gum up. Fuel injection can still um, feel the effects of age. I get it. But not nearly as bad as old carbureted shit and poorly manufactured, poorly designed old shit. So the last huge halcyon time of the late 70s, I think, where was, there was huge sales throughout the golden era, I, I think that might have balanced out a bit when now we got a lot of sales from the early, mid-2000s and the technology plateaued, you can buy a 2004 GSX-R750 right now, and man, I will give you a run for your money at the racetrack with anything, anything on that bike, right? And we're talking about a bike that's probably 3,500 to 4,500 bucks, well-equipped, already has an exhaust, maybe has a fresh set of tires, anything from that early 2000s, mid-2000s, right? I'll do you, I'll do you another one. Uh, I was thinking about it. So I rode an R1 in South Africa, we'll get to it. And I, I have a 2004 R1 for my personal track bike. Yeah. And I, I was playing in my head. I was like, you know what? I bet if we got an off the showroom R1, put it on dyno and dynoed my 2004 R1 right next to it, I bet the power figures are almost, almost the same. I agree with that. Because of what the EPA has done and because, I mean, the, the, truthfully, the Japanese OEMs and to some extent the European OEMs 
have very quietly reduced the horsepower on U.S. spec superbikes because yeah. of mostly EPA noise emissions, yeah. not tailpipe emissions, and we've but talked noise about emissions. Before, yep. That so, bike has the potential for way more, like a full race R1. You, you chip 200 it. 200 horsepower, right? You do whatever. You put a yep. dyno, um, sorry, a power commander or whatever, whatever you got to do to get these restrictions taken off. But it was the same because we also had a Suzuki GSXR at the track um, in South Africa, and I really wanted to ride it because I was like, oh, European spec Suzuki. Mm. This thing's going to probably rip. Because it's because it's so neutered in the U.S. Did you? No, unfortunately, we only had four sessions. Only got to get on four bikes. Okay, we'll Something talk about, about that in a yeah. second. But but it was this idea of like, you know, 2004. There wasn't really these restrictions. So you know, I think Yamaha was quoting like 180 at the crank at the time. So maybe that's 150, 155 at the wheel. The Graves bikes we would get. We th- this is blueprinted super stock, so no major changes, but deck the head, clean yeah. it up a little bit. We were at like one seventy eight at, at the wheel, at the rear wheel, and that was a beautiful is that power pump band. gas. Uh, that's race gas. No, no, no. That's that's, that's methylethyl, methylethyl death. death. Okay. Yeah, that would be at the time VP MR ten or M twelve or whatever the Which thing is was. Which is good for ten twenty horsepower. At least twenty five percent sometimes. Nasty, but yeah. So anyway, it, it, you're right. Uh, it's not that far off. Electronic controls, chassis stuff's better. All that crap, whatever. But the what I'm saying is general person that's just going out and doing a track day are you going to have any less fun on your 2004 maybe a little and but you know what your bike looks a hell of a lot better <laughs> and then these new well maybe yours particularly doesn't but throw a paint job on it you know i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna class up the r1 for this year's riding season ass it up yeah i think right. i'm gonna like so <laughs> this is horrible so i have these i have these shark skins race fairings and i this is back when I lived in Pennsylvania. A local guy, a local track day guy for for Nesba. Nesba is no longer with us, but it lives on in N2. And actually, the N2 track day guys are awesome. They're really awesome dudes. If you're in the Northeast, like go ride with Nesba. Those guys are not, sorry, Nesba. N2. N2 yeah. They're rad. But there was like a local guy in a group, and he started like coming up with these these wrap. It was like back right when like wrapping vehicles was a thing. Yeah. And he came up with like these like moto wrap panels. So I have like these ghost skull panels on my bike it looks horrendous and yeah. it's just it's time Quentin. it's time it's time, time to read and we've been talking about this for years because i used to build the chassis of the bike those bikes so i kind of know how to make them kind of okay of course you'd have to do a lot to yours to get it to that spec but i also know that you don't have to do a whole lot because they're pretty good they're not excellent but they're pretty it's a good. good bike out of the box but it, it goes so, i mean that bike is stock 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 Super stock. Which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the beauty of that bike. Yeah. Any bike that can be so good as shipped is of note, and you got to be stoked on it, right? Of course, it's nice if you throw a set of pipes and blah, 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 but really, is it necessary? No. And that goes to my point. Whereas if you bought a used bike in 1989, and you're going for an early 80s something or a late 70s, they're hunks of shit compared right. to. Right. You you're going to buy potentially a basket case. Or you're just buying old technology. So one person's, you know, Seika, Yamaha Seika from the early 80s. Yeah, it's a decent bike. You could probably still haul ass on it. But nowhere near as much as a FZR 600 from the early 90s and then go to the R6 from even the early 2000s. To right. be fair, the R6 from the early 2000s really isn't any different from the R6 of the early 2018. Well, I'm talking about the carbureted. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Older I, ones. That, that, that gap from carburetion I, to fuel I, injection. You don't see, right? And it's so strange yeah. to finally get to the point where now we're 20 years on from some of these bikes, like Vintage an R1. Class. Uh, yeah. And they're, 
you can understand now why bikes like that, which were so ubiquitous and so constant and everywhere, are now rare because they all just get eaten up and crashed and blown up. And it's gnarly. It's interesting. But you can still find them and you can still do well with them. So the used situation coupled with the Internet giving you easy access to information, you know, a few keystrokes away from finding all the problems and and associated issues with any bike, but also um, a minute later and you're on eBay finding all the different parts that you need for it, et cetera, which you didn't have that ease in the 90s. You just didn't. So I think it's a different level of being able to to buy used and have – uh, the ability to buy good bikes and buy uh, have the information to make the bikes rad and continue on with them. And that sucks for the OEMs because they're kind of like, you know, planned obsolescence kind of starts going out the window a little bit. And then they really have to give you a temptation to to buy new. And I I just, I don't have much of it, right? There's been, ever, ever since the iPhone 10 or X or however you want to describe it came out, I've been wanting to do this story. And you, you and I have touched on this idea before. Um, but like we've reached like peak motorcycle, we've reached this kind of concept that, that the technology has hit this plateau and we're just kind of iterating at this point. And I want to write this story that was said, you know, why I care about the iPhone 10, but you shouldn't or <laughs> other way around why I don't care about the iPhone 10, but you should. And it was this concept of iPhone sales are going, are going down. Yeah. Or, or I should say, they're not growing. They're pl- they're they're yeah. plateauing and they're peaking. And the 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 reason for that is really simple because the technology isn't really changing. Like I remember when the first iPhone came out, that was like one of the first smartphones. And you're like, holy crap! Like I have like a web like a real web browser on my phone. I can really get my email. Like Blackberries kind of did that at the time, but it was kind of janky. You're know, like, this is a really simple interface, and it's got my music. It's like an i. It's a camera. It's a web browser. It's an iPod all in one. Holy crap. What is that? And then the next version was on like a 3G network and it was actually like the internet was actually fast. And then like LTE came out and you're like, okay, now it's actually like broadband fast. It's really good. This is usable. And it, and it kind of opened up the market. So each, each iteration the, meant something. The early iterations really yeah. meant something. You're really getting something more when you bought that new phone. And I actually, I just redid the battery. I have a 6S and I redid the battery rather than upgrade because I was like, you know what? My 6S, it does pretty much everything I want it to do. I'm going to upgrade and get like a slightly better camera. I'm going to get a slightly better screen. I'm like, I don't yeah, really the care. The features and benefits point. have plateaued. And then, and then I'm going to pay how much for that. And that's where the iPhone 10 really starts like not making a lot of sense. Now, Apple sales or sorry, um, profits on iPhones continue to rise, but it's because the iPhone 10 is like a thousand dollar phone. The prices are going up. And this to me is really analogous of what's going on in the motorcycle industry. But this is idea of like, have super bikes gotten any better in the last 10 years? And we can make this direct analogy or this direct comparison. I go out and buy a brand new R1. I put on a dyno and compare it to my almost 15 year old R1. And they're going to make pretty much the same power. If not close, I mean, like we're talking give or take five, five horsepower, maybe. Yeah. It'd be really interesting. This would be a really interesting story to look at. Now, the electronics between those bikes are different. Yeah. Some of the componentry you, you're is only different. 
maybe a thousand dollars away from a bazaz system that'll give you the bulk of what pretty you need, good i mean i'm not gonna right? get the imu powered traction no, control no but you can get probably close with again you taking your four thousand dollar bike if that and then adding to it the tires you're gonna be able to benefit from the new, new tire, tire technology, technology right yeah to a point not every not perfect like you might not spoon on a 200 series tire on there but i bet you could get the thing set up pretty well it, for it's, that right it's the same thing where the iPhone 10 is the latest, hottest, and greatest. The new R1 is the hottest and greatest from 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 that manufacturer. Yep. But the old stuff isn't that far off. And with like a little a little tweaking here, a little tweaking there, it gets you pretty dang close to the point of, do I really need to go buy the new hotness? Because we were in this cycle of buying new superbikes every ten years. Or sorry, not every two years. Uh, yeah, sure. We're, we're bringing out new superbikes every two years. You're like, oh my God, I got to go have it. That's the latest, hottest, and greatest. It's got 10% more horsepower. It does all the things, blah, 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 blah. I got to go get it. Well, that's not really the case anymore. And I think now we're getting to that same kind of plateau that we've seen in like smartphones. This is this is where that story was kind of running where it's like, I think we're in the same space now with with at least the superbike category, the sport category. And, and I think it changes when you look at different segments. But for me, this is where my asphalt and rubber brain is. When you look at like, well, okay, so I'm not really seeing power increases each year. I mean, like we're at 200 horsepower. Like if you can't do the thing with 200 horsepower, yep. you're really not going to be doing it with 210 or 220. Like it's just, it's just kind of wasted. The electronics, I think IMUs have definitely brought another level. And, and there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I would want to upgrade to an IMU powered bike. That's, that's pretty cool stuff. I want to have the cornering ABS. I want to have the slide control, but like you said, Quentin, for a thousand bucks with a pizzazz, I can put traction control on my 2004 R1. That's going to be pretty good. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to sure. be like really sitting there being like, man, I wish I had slide control. I wish I had the yeah. IMU. I've got the traction control. That's like 90% of the game. And the person with the means, the the, the iPhone 10 customer who has the thousand bucks and and almost uses it as a um, status symbol. Look, yeah, status. Yeah. So look at me, right? Does buys the new Panigale or the Aprilia V4? The the person who is a little bit more of a workhorse is like, I can just use this, and I'm I'm gonna have to save all that money to actually just go buy tires and do track yeah. days. And the person that with the money is gonna buy the new stuff, the new hotness anyway. Right. So the manufacturer is like, all right, well exactly. we'll continue to do this exactly, and we're gonna have the price point so high because we need to make the money, and we're not gonna sell as many, so we can't make, say, in the Ducati realm, I can't make a ten a ten nine eight for fourteen thousand dollars like we did or sixteen thousand, you know, ten years ago. We're gonna make this new hotness V four for what twenty four or whatever. So somebody like me is like, ha. Nope, sorry. I'll take my 848 straight up, right? I'll take my 848. I'd rather have that Honda that we rode last year in the death match. I'm all about it. Like out of all the bikes that we rode, that one was the most like enthusiastic type of like, oh my gosh, I want that bike more than any of the other ones for me. And from a price point yeah. standpoint, if I'm a new bike buyer, that would be it. But I'm not. I'm going to wait for one of those to be used and I'm going to I'm going to let that depreciation curve spike right down and I'm going to buy it, you know, depending on where I am at financially, that's what I would do, right? But even then, that's a whole nother scope to like I don't I'm not even into that. I I'm eyeballing one of those Kawasaki 900 things, the naked bikes, more than any other bike right now. That's the one that gets me stoked. Huh. I see those when they're in the dealership and they look fucking rad and it has the you know it's like resto mod but it's like retro mod. Are you talking right? about the the Z nine hundred uh -huh. RS? Yeah, the kind of cafe. Yep, that looks like a classic superbike, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But has all of the 
new stuff, new forks, new brakes, tires, right. etc. Right. But it has the cool look and just stokes me out. I look at it and, and every every person I talk to in every single dealership is so uh, really stoked on them. Right? I just want to take a moment for our listeners to realize how excited Quentin is over a f- inline four cylinder. I know, motorcycle. right? It's bizarre, but I want one pretty bad. Yeah. And, and that I, I'm that's right there weird. with you. I think that that one, the Z900, which was the Z800 previously, was already a good platform. It was kind of like a crazy space aliens design. And I think that's where I think Kawasaki was really smart. Like, hey, we've got a really good chassis and motor combination here. We just changed the look, just changed the aesthetic. And they've got like a, a stripped down cafe racer version. And then they have like a bikini f- fairing version as well. And like, you can kind of make like, yeah, this resto mod thing going on that's that could appeal to people that want a good bike that's fun, that's peppy, that's you know, got a lot of zest, modern components, reliability, all those things. But then kind of look this more yeah. lifestyle element that doesn't look like we're playing a game of Space Invaders. And you're like, yeah, I think that's really a smart, a really smart move. To go back a second though, what you were describing with with like the Ducatis and all that, what it is is a segment, and we have now segmented the sport bike market, and that might be, in my mind, part of the reason why we say the sport bike market is dying, because we've segmented it now to before, let's say ten years ago, whatever that market was consisting of people that, I mean, there's a lot of factors here. So I'm just really picking on one and understand that this is a more complex issue than I'm about to boil it down to. But that market consisted of people that were constantly buying it to have the brand new cool thing because they could. And then there was like those people that are like, Hey, I'm willing to pay this premium. This is a a reflection of my individual tastes or my identity, wherever it is. And now we've segmented where it's like, well, the pragmatic people are looking at it and saying like, well, now I don't need to upgrade every two, three years Yeah, because you're not putting anything out that is worth my money and I'm going to keep what I've got and maybe I'm going to put another thousand into my sport bike now and, and upgrade it sure. to the ne- next level rather than buy a new one. And and then you've left behind only the the people that are maybe more lifestyle driven or are willing to put more of a premium on having the latest and greatest. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, I'm willing to spend, you know, the money to buy a new bike to have that one percent more. Yeah. Whereas the other guy's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, you need to give me ten percent more. Or I'm not in the game. And I think that's kind of where we've left this market. Where it's like, it really is. We've segmented it so finely, like. The sport bike, the super bike riders now really are these guys that are like, yeah, I, I'm not going to bat my eyes at a $30,000 bike that's going to have five more horsepower than the old one and maybe have like this weird, you know, electric gizmo that I don't really need, but still think is kind of cool. And, that, and that's the change. That's the change in the market. That's the change in the space. And it's the same thing as I go back to this, the smartphone analogy. It's the same thing. The iPhone 10, like the big cool new feature is the portrait mode camera. And it does this really cool aperture depth of field thing and it takes four photos and composites <laughs> them together to make it's it look blurry. like it makes you look like you took the photo with the Hasselblad even it, though you didn't right it makes it look like you took it with a real camera <laughs> but like and, and there's someone there that's like yeah I totally want that feature I will totally pay a thousand dollars for that phone because I want that feature where someone like me is like I have a DSLR I can already do that yeah so what what no I'm gonna just keep using my like four-year-old phone until I drop it down the stairs shatter the screen watch a steamroller roll over it and, you know, it explodes with Steve Jobs' last remnants of joy and be like, <laughs> okay, now you got me. Now I'm going to go get a phone, but I'm going to get an iPhone 8 because you guys are out of your mind for wanting $1,000 for a phone. But that's false because Steve Jobs never had any joy. 
you know, you say that. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a fun anecdotal story of my mom thinking that Steve Wozniak was homeless. So, so this is this has nothing to do with anything remotely close to motorcycles. I want to hear this. Though. It's a fun, it's a fun Mama B story. So, so I went to school with Steve Wozniak's niece, which is like a weird, like I know someone famous kind of thing. Yeah, but it's just a random thing. We went to the same elementary school. Like I never, I don't even know who this person was. Never met her, but we used to have like once a month we had like a food day where we like have like pizza delivered or tacos or yeah. something. I think this was a pizza day. And it was one of those things where like the moms of the classroom would like, that was like them to be hands-on. And so they would help like yep. distribute the pizza. Cause it was like the whole school. This was like 500 kids or something. And my mom sees this kind of straggly heavy set guy. who has got like stains on his shirt and you know, he's kind of like milling around looking kind of dumpy, looking kind of dumpy. And, and like, in this area where the school is like, that isn't really a thing that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and so she's like, huh? Okay. And so she like kind of goes to investigate and, and the guy's like, Oh yeah, I got like grease on my hands. I need to like, where, where's, where's the bathroom? I need to go to the bathroom. And she's like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess you can go use that one over there, but you know, make sure you wash your hands because it's pizza day and, and all that. And so this guy, saunders over and does his thing and he comes back and he comes up to my mom with his fresh clean hands and he goes clean wash my hands just want to make sure you know i wash my hands she's just like oh okay that's that's cool and uh the guy you know walks off and goes who knows where he goes and this this other room mom comes over and is like do you know who that was my mom's like oh, that homeless guy yeah i i don't know i've never I haven't seen him around here it's really weird that we had like a homeless guy in the school we should probably call security she goes that's not a homeless guy that's steve wozniak and she's like who yeah uh steve wozniak he's the founder of apple computers he's <laughs> he's here because apple just donated a bunch of you know macintoshes to the school for uh, a computer lab yeah and it's because his niece goes to school and you want to make sure his niece knew how to use a computer oh my gosh so she's like, oh, my God. And she, like, runs him down and is like, oh, hey, like, I, I didn't realize who you were. Like, my, my my husband's actually thinking about getting a computer. What do you think about, you know, yeah. we're looking at a Mac and, da, 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 and like, has, like, this whole this whole thing. So yeah. um, Steve Wadnack ended up giving us a, a deal on a on a Macintosh. No shit. Yeah. I got a Mac LC for, for, for a price. Uh-huh. That's what started the downward trend. Yeah, I'll say. Well, I'm I'm definitely a, a big uh, proponent of Wozniak over Jobs. I'll say that if if there's anybody that I could uh, understand or identify with relative to the bizarreness that was the Steve Jobs and or the uh, Steve Jobians, whatever the the people are that are you know that view him in almost like a Svengali like. Well, there is like a cult thing. Like I mean, I I'm so deep into Mac culture. I, we don't need to get we don't need to go into like that level of geekdom mm. that I was that I was involved with. Mm. But understand that you wouldn't have a company like Apple without a Steve Jobs and without also Steve Wozniak. Yeah, I get it. I you know. you lose either of those people and it's a very different company. Sure. And maybe isn't what it is today. We wouldn't be using Apple iPhones as an analogy for the motorcycle superbike market if it wasn't for both of those individuals. No, the only involved. reason we're doing that is because it's you. I would be talking about whatever the Samsung is that I have, right? Well, that would be the, <laughs> but that would be the thing though because I don't think Samsung and Android and all that have been able to cultivate that same level of product lust. They don't have the sycophantic lick asses that are like, "Oh, I got to have an Apple," right? You say sycophant, sick asses, but understand that that is the same psychological driver 
that drives someone to be like, I want to go get, I, I that, that to, gets a new Panigale a new V4, every yeah. year because, <laughs> not because they're sick of fans, but because they put a premium, like I have no problems taking the depreciation value hit, whatever that is, dollar wise, each year to have the latest and greatest thing. Whether that's a poser thing or whether that is a putting a, a priority on the latest technology thing, that that's another conversation. But that is that same person that's like, they take more pride in ownership or place a higher value on having the latest, greatest whammy bammy thing than say someone you are you or and I do. Where I'll sit there and be like, yeah, I'm gonna use this phone until it explodes. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have the 15 year old super bike in my garage until that motor stops working. And even then I might look at eBay and be like, so how much can I get a motor for? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's that's just you know the penny pincher that I am. But it's it's interesting. It's an interesting thing. Uh-huh. You want to transition to what I've been doing? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so what, now that we're what an hour into the podcast, understand? Like we were like, okay, we're going to talk for like five minutes about Quentin's been up to, and then we'll talk about some of my stuff, and then we got some news stories. We'll just get through it real quick. Yeah. Forty minutes later, here we this are. This is why people, I guess, listen to us. Welcome to the Squirrel Show. Right. Get your nuts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going down some rabbit holes, oh, people. Man. Um, which is amazing that I'm even conscious right now because I am so jet lagged. I yeah. got in. Uh, just about 24 hours ago, almost to the to the dot um, from South Africa. Before that, a couple weeks ago, I was in Morocco. We so, have an Africanized beeler instead of an Africanized beeler. You know, get I've, it? I've had get a it? lot of I had a I've had a lot of travels, and I've never been to Africa until this this most recent. Oh, uh, you hadn't month even been so. to like that the northern. Oh, mm, that's cool. Never, so never, ever. Before. Now you are well, well, quasi well traveled in Africa. I mean, <sighs> you've seen hippos. Un- I, You've seen hippos. I almost got killed by a hippo. No. Yeah, truth. Really? So you hear about this because what? They are the most dangerous animal they in, are the, in they, Africa. I don't know if they're they they're up there. I don't know. I mean, the what side the of or something. Is, right? But they definitely could be because you look at a hippo and you're like, look at this giant, it's like river looking, cow. Yeah. Look right? at this. Look at this big dumb cow. And Until it's just, they yawn and you see the size of those freaking tusks. And they just kind of, you know, they just kind of just roll around in the mud all day. But what you don't realize is those fuckers can run like 60 kilometers an hour <laughs> and, and they weigh like two tons. And so the hotel that we're staying at, I guess we're going to Tarantino these stories. So the hotel we're staying at in South Africa, right outside Kruger National Park, which is got to be one of the, like the eighth wonder of the world. It's amazing. If you're in South Africa, it's obviously a go-to thing, but like bucket list items for like life in general yeah this has got to be on there because it's it's the largest game reserve i think in the world it certainly is in africa hundreds of thousands of acres or hectares or whatever yeah millions of hectares 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 you're a hectaker <laughs> yeah <laughs> i take heck from every you all the time. I get, yeah you get all the heck <laughs> to heck and back um so an but impressive it, thing. And you, were you expecting to do this or did you know this was happening? I knew that we were going to do like a, a quasi safari thing. But you didn't know it was going to be epic gnarly. Yeah. So, and we got like the Diet Coke version. We stayed in like the truck the entire time, but we saw elephants, giraffes. One group saw monkeys. Any kitties? Um, that would be the most We important. didn't see any kitties. Aww. No kitties. Well, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, for Let's sure. Let's just be fair. Because um, you would want to, I would want to pet them. I'd get out of the truck. I'd get eaten. It would be. Yeah, thing. no. So the hotel that we're staying at, is right on this river and like they have like legit signs. I posted up to like my personal Instagram space. They have like these legit signs that say 
beware of the hippos and crocodiles management is not responsible if you get your shit torn off dude hungry hungry hippos and you think yeah and you think like oh that's adorable but like the the cafe terrace where you have breakfast and lunch and dinner every day is 20 feet from this grass river embankment where the river comes through and the crocodiles and the hippos come right into it and in fact the hippopotamuses will come up onto the grass and you can literally be five ten feet away from a hippopotamus so the final morning there's these two hippos especially it's a mama hippo and a baby hippo oh yeah are kind of coming through and they're on the grass and we come you know all of us stupid idiots come running out i've got my camera and i'm like oh, i'm taking pictures and i'm maybe 50 feet away from this hippopotamus and her little baby calf hippopotamus calf it's got to be called a calf because it's it's sure. a river it's a river cow. Other other than manatee, it's the closest river cow that you yeah, can get. Yep. Absolutely. So, so we're out there and we're looking at it, and you see like the the hotel reception people and like the management. They come mm-hmm. running out like no 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 they're, no they're no, trying no, to manage no, no. us, and the look of worry and fear in their eyes was real. They're like you idiots have no idea how dangerous this is right now but you're not even on the grass i'm you? on the grass oh god the hippos you weren't in, up on the terrace thing you guys got but down. understand that the terrace is grass level like it's not like you're safe on the terrace okay it's coming it. if it's coming after you it's yeah. going through a little barge like what, what the little walls. wood gate that's two feet high yeah, yeah that's not kicking them out <sighs> oop sorry no nope. no way we're editing that out of the show <laughs> coke down <laughs> quentin's getting serious so yeah, they come out and they're just like, what are you guys doing? You got to get back inside. Like this is, this hippo can turn around in charge and run you down before you'll make it back inside the hotel. Like you are, you're in the danger zone right now. Danger, danger zone. Yeah. And so you don't really realize it because they just look like these big, dumb cow creatures. And you're like, oh, that really would have been like the end of the end of me. And that would be the. That would have been a tragic so everybody way to got go. skedaddled in. You didn't really almost get killed, but didn't really almost get killed. But like you were, you were close. Did not appreciate the level of the situation. Yeah. And there's this fun phrase that like that I kind of learned over there, and I've heard it, I've heard it before that it, this is Africa, and it means a lot of different things. But it's part of like, hey, watch out for the hippos and crocodiles. This, this is, is Africa. Africa. That sure. is actually a real danger you have to think about. Watch out for elephants in the turn when you come around the corner because there could be an elephant in the apex of the turn. Because this is Africa. Mm-hmm. Also, like it's gonna be cold and windy on the safari. This is Africa. You need to harden, harden the f up. Yeah. Because you know this isn't easy life here. This uh, isn't. This isn't like we've tamed the wilderness. The wilderness is still very much a thing here. We still very much are a part of. So were you the riding of within the range and within the Kruger National Park? We were in safari trucks. No, we did but a I mean, street ride near, not we, in Kruger, but, but near, in the surrounding okay. area. You didn't see any giraffe try and copulate with a, a BMW GS, did you? No, you've seen that video. I've right? seen that video, and that like that's one of the things where like I could see that happening because uh-huh. you could probably ride a motorcycle in the Kruger. I don't sure. see how that wouldn't be. Yeah. And there's w- many it wouldn't other be a places. good idea, but I don't see how it would be not allowed unless there's a sign I missed. So we should back this up. So I'm in South Africa with Pirelli. <laughs> <laughs> should talk about what you were doing. Yeah. Yes. Talk about something. I got, so I got sidetracked. With Pirelli, we're doing the Pirelli Diablo Rosso Corsa 2 tire. Oh, that's it? I thought it was like that and an on no. off road or no? No, okay. no, no. You're there just mainly to ride Kailami. Well, I mean, so Pirelli's street bike, sport bike, tire lineup is a little confusing, and it doesn't help that 
all the tires are named pretty much the same thing. Oh, I wish you would do that thing. You were going to, you never do it. Yeah. That'll be a thing. That'll be a thing. I, I actually talked to them about that. That'll be a thing. Now that'd be even better if you can yeah. get them, their support. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sorry. Sorry to be so cryptic people, but Jensen has a thing. Don't say it. Well, we, we weren't, we didn't get to the show. We're not going to get to it. April Fool's Day is my favorite day of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're out there. And so that tire is a street tire that is very sport focused to, to the point where I'd say it's a very good track tire as well. So it's that great. I ride on the street. I'm an aggressive street rider, go to the canyons to go do the thing. And then I want to be able to go and ride on the track as well. That's what that tire is for. So that's why we were out at, uh, in the Kruger area where there's some curvy roads in the mountains. And then we went to Kailami. And this is all North of Johannesburg. Kailami is right outside Johannesburg and Kruger is Northeast. It's in the Northeast corner of South Africa. It's in South Africa though. It, you don't have to go into. Is all of it in South Africa? I think Mozambique all of it is, but it's near like Swaziland. It's near that, yeah. that corner of the, so still the, the country. Kind of tricky. Like you gotta be like, there's unrest, right? No, no. So funny thing you should say that South Africa is the only African nation that hasn't had a coup. It's one of the most stable yeah. governments in South Africa. That being said, while we were there, there there is a lot of issue with their current leader having a bit of corruption. Yeah. And so that's that's a big thing that's kind of going on right now because they're just kind of Join the club. Dealing with it. So um there's a lot of things that could be said there. <laughs> and I actually had a really interesting conversation with my my chauffeur from uh the hotel to the airport because we we were in traffic. We're stuck for like 45 minutes. So we started talking politics. We started talking religion. I mean, just, it was yeah. such a fascinating place from a cultural perspective. Sure. And then understanding well. like the history of apartheid yeah. and, and you can draw some very interesting parallels between uh-huh. the, the socio-political cultures of the two countries. That's a whole nother podcast. Gwen. We'll talk about it offline. Um, so yeah, so we come back Johannesburg Johannesburg is very stable. Cape Town further south is having all sorts of issues with water. The country's been in a drought for like oh, the last two right. three years. They were like, we've reached peak water. <laughs> no, that, that's the thing. They're way past peak water. They're, they're, they're falling down the, oh, the, the reserves. Like this, they're, you see planet. the satellite photos of their, their yeah. reservoirs, and it's depressing. Now, they've gotten a lot of rain, and I think the projections are that they're going to make it through this year. Yeah. But, but they need to have some major desalinization plants, right? They need to plants, get their right? shit together. Yeah, it is bad news bears. Yeah. Uh, Cape Town will probably be the first major city to run out of water uh, in modern times if things keep going the way they are. So so we did the street ride. It got totally rained out, which sucked. Irony. Irony. But actually, it was kind of good because to contrast that to, to, to my other trip to Morocco where we had like perfect weather. You kind of want to have a mix of weather, especially for a street tire. I want to know how yeah. it rides in the rain. And, and before I'd gone on this trip, I'd heard from a couple OEMs that were specking this tire to their bikes. They're like the wet grip on this tire is phenomenal because they use a lot of silica. So that's what I want. So, I want cold and wet grip. Right. I want it to grip right. when I leave the house. I don't care as much once it's hot and, and it's good. Most tires are generally okay. Yeah. I don't give a shit about it. I'm not testing the limits when we're doing well, other than you and I riding through Eastern Oregon. But even then, I'd rather be, like, if it gives a little and I can feel that, I want the feel, right. but I'd way rather have that white grip or the or the, or the right. cold grip, right? That's a huge that's a huge thing. And this is one of, 
This is Pirelli's first multi-zone compound tire. So it's it's three, it's two compounds, three zones in the front, three compounds, five zones in is the back. Is one of it a danger zone? <laughs> I should I should have asked that. Is there a zone of danger? <laughs> There's got to be a better way of saying that. What it, what could it be? No, I was too jet lagged to be that sassy on the trip. Um, but but two of the zones. One is 100% silica. 100%? No. Can't imagine. One's 70% silica. Something's got to bond to the rubber, right? I should be looking at my notes, and I just am not. That's okay. Anyways, they, they use a lot of silica, and especially and that helps in, with in the the what would you call it? The meat of the tire, not the edge, not the center. That fat meat yeah. on the side. That has got 70% silica, and that's where they're getting a lot of their wet grip from, which is really interesting. So we rode it out in the rain, and it dumped balls on us. And, yeah, I mean, no fucking worries. It was great. Get out to the track. And I understand, like, I cut my teeth on track days with the Diablo Rosa Corsa, I guess what we call it, the one now, the original version of this tire. Phenomenal track tire because it heats up. I didn't have tire warmers. You know, I don't. I, yeah, sure. I, was, I was on a budget. They're cheaper tires compared to the Super Corsas. And the the upside is they heat up really quick and they grip really well and they they provide a lot of grip. You can out, you can go out there, you can drag knees, you can put in pretty impressive lap times. In the past, I've been able to run the Diablo Rosa Corsa next to the Super Corsa SP next to the Super Corsa Slick to see the difference in the grips and, and the performance yeah. of the tires. And you do notice a drop off between the the DRC and now what would be the DRC two versus the Super Corsa SP. It's noticeable. It's not a lot. I don't see as much of a difference between the Supercore SP and the Slicks, but that also might be I don't ride on Slicks that much, so I don't push that hard as yeah, much. Yeah, it's, it's strange. I, I made that switch one time on my A48, uh, spooned on some Slicks. Didn't gain much, but you have to set them up, and you have to ride in a specific way. You got to be... You got to be doing it, the thing. It's got to be ready for that. So yeah. I didn't... I didn't pass judgment on. I'm like, well, it's not faster for me on this bike in this situation, but that's because I didn't tailor the bike to them. You you get a lot of grip. Another another motorcycle analogy might be like like using race fuel or using like a full system exhaust. You can't just put it on and expect huge horsepower no, gains. Sure. You put it on, you'll see a gain, but the real gains are made like, hey, yeah, so you put a full exhaust on and then you updated your fuel injection, you yeah, updated sure. your ECU yeah, to same. take advantage of it yeah. or you've changed up. your fuel to having sure. something that has more uh, chemical energy, more you know kinetic energy in the mix, but you have to change your combustion timing and, and sure. your squish and all these other things to get the maximum yeah. out of it or whatever it is. So it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So going out to Kailami, though, uh, might be my favorite track in the world, Quentin. And I've ridden Phillip Island. I've, I've gotten That's to ride some. That's a bold statement. This track is phenomenal, and it helps that they just recently renovated it. It's got brand new asphalt. It used to be a MotoGP track, right? A uh, superbike. Superbike. Was, was it Welcome? Welcome, yeah. Where's Welcome? I don't know. It's in South it's somewhere Africa. somewhere in South Africa, it's, right? It's, okay. it's around that neck of the woods. But Kyle, I mean, I'm pretty sure it used to be a GP track, like 500 GP before Superbike at some point in time in its life. I would have to look it up. I don't think so, but I know Superbike for sure. Okay. Uh, and I know Formula One. Think, ah, maybe that's where my brain's yeah. going with it. Okay. Yeah. When when Rossi came back and that won was on the Yamaha, that was it was welcome. like the first race that that was welcome. Because okay. that was the joke. It was welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah, sure. Got it. Okay. Got it. Um, that was a big this deal, track's got way. everything. It's got elevation, fast rights, fast lefts, tight stuff. Not super technical. Flows pretty well. A lot, a lot of fun. 
facilities are top notch. It it could host a MotoGP and race. So it has the all the pit boxes and garages. Fan, garages, and, fantastic, brand it, new. It's high up though, right? Is it elevation? Elevation, yeah. No, uh, it's I not think, any higher than Johannesburg is. Which I mean, I, I don't think it's that high. Okay, because one of them down there is like four thousand feet. No, I think this is like under a thousand. Okay, maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't get the impression that, that okay. we're at altitude. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting. We had a a full day of track riding. I got to ride on a Super Duke twelve ninety Super Duke Panigale V four. I got to ride on the Yamaha R one and. Um, I'm missing a bike. What was I on? Triumph. Oh, oh uh, MV Augusta F3800 RC. What's that's that's, good. that's the the race replica. Does it look like it has all the racy yeah. graphics and shit? Yeah. Okay. So a good mix of bikes. I really wanted to test the tire out in different sizes and on different kind of horsepower and machine types. Um, really enjoyable. I really quite like that tire a lot. I think they really hit the mark on where that that tire needs to be. Pirelli's got roughly four or five tires in the sport bike category they've really segmented it out and they're really trying to like hyper focus on particular needs so picking pirelli tires really kind of comes down to like personal um priorities yeah for me this would be a tire that would be and i think wouldn't be in your wheelhouse too in terms of like this is a tire that i want to put on my sport bike because i can go do the street bike miles um they're, they're saying like they've got a pretty good increase in longevity. They're quoting something like uh, 9,000 kilometers on a rear on a rear tire. Well, the key with those isn't, for me, it would never be the, the longevity. It would be how many heat cycles can they right. go? Because it used to be back in the day, you get one heat cycle on a Pirelli and then let it sit. Oof, you were in a bad super way course, once you went and back. And the super courses are kind of like that. Like you you're going to get, careful. you're going to get one really good day on them, maybe half a day. And then it kind of, it drops. And then you can't, you don't come back to them very well. Then you can do it, but not as well. It used yeah. to be. It makes me wonder. For me, that's the most important about well, if they're going to tout a track day tire like that. And I think that's what Dunlop was doing with the whatever Q3. The Q3 was yeah. that you could do that and it would be consistent the next time you came back. Eh, it'd be interesting to know. Maybe not ultimate grip, yeah. but as a track day enthusiast, that would be what I'd be concerned with, right? I know from my experience, I would get two or three track days out of the old tire and still have. a decent street tire that I could get about 3000 miles out of. And so I, this seems to be at least according to their, their information, um, better in every regard, but in terms of how it performed on the track, I mean, I was pushing pretty hard and didn't have any issues. It was really quite impressive. Is, is one of the time I know they talked about the Panigale V4 having a bespoke yes. tire. It Did you ride two, the bike on that bespoke? It is a 260 size which is a super bo- uh, super bike slick size but it's the same compound and structure as what you wrote on the r1 yes got it so all the bikes have the same tires just different sizes okay. so there are now only two tires that are 260 for the panigale v4 one is the super course and the other one's now the diablo rosa corsa 2 okay so they're they're building out a little bit of a line and those will probably be the only tires that pirelli will build for those bikes other than, than the slick um, just because again, it comes down to like their hyper focus where like, we don't really see people with Panigale V4s riding a ton, like using it purely as a street bike. We're seeing these guys yeah. take them to the track. So we're not really going to build the, uh, Diablo Rosso three for it, which would be a more of a street focused. Could you go do a track day on it? Yeah. But really this is our, sh- 
sport bike street focused tire where this is something that's more across the line between street and track so was really impressed with that tire i think they really hit the 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 ball out of the park with that um kailami was amazing be uh, elevation changes and a lot of elevation probably a couple hundred feet at least by the way welcome is at 4500 feet that's why i was thinking because back in the day of two strokes it, it was specific it's, it makes a difference with every type Absolutely. of bike but it really made a difference to go there and they would have trouble setting them up that's why it was in my head uh so lots of elevation change good corners that don't that, that have good flow good flow you can sight through most of them but there's enough kind of blind technical stuff to keep you interested yeah, it's a really good mix. I, I think I got an onboard like lead follow lap that I might post up to YouTube. Leading, following who and leading who? Uh, just one of the Pirelli riders. Got it. I'm on the Panigale. I think he's on a Super Duke. I'm really interested in how the Panigale in outside of Ducati's press thing mm -hmm. did. It was just, rad. And it, compared to the R1, how did it? literally giggled on the V4 going through the turns because it's just so much power. And it handles so well. And it really did well on those tires. I was, that was one of the things I was really curious to see. I was like, okay, here's the most powerful super bike on the market right now. How is it going to handle this quote unquote street tire? And it, you know, it, it hooked up. It hooked so up the, really well. You had well. ridden it on the Super Corsa. Yeah. And now you're riding it on. And the... I'd ridden it on slicks. Oh, you did? Yeah. Because when we were at the Panigale V4 launch, the performance bike had uh -huh. the exhaust and the slicks. And that's why Claudio Domenicali was faster than me. Oh yeah, that's because he was on the cheater bike. Uh huh. Sure. <laughs> um, that's but, interesting. But yeah, it hooked. It, 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 I was very, I was very impressed, especially when I was on the V4 because I wasn't really holding. I was very comfortable on that bike because I'd been on it before and I knew, I knew it pretty well and it had been pretty fresh in my mind. And it was like my third session of the day, so I was already feeling the track and knew where I was going. So I was able to put in some some quick laps, and I mean, yeah, it felt really, really good. It was Better than an Aprilia V4, you think, at this stage? Not it, for the price. Huh? Not for the price. No. I mean, if you want to talk just straight performance. Yeah. Panigale. Sure. Like, call like call it in. Eat, let's print up the, the trophy, send it to Mountain View. That is the best superbike on the market. With an asterisk, because it's a total cheater. If I'm buying it with my money, I'm buying an Aprilia RSV4 RR and saving $13,000 and laughing all the way to the bank with it. Nice. Okay. Because the delta, again, this is this comes back to that smartphone uh -huh. argument. That's why I'm asking. The delta I wanted to know. between the two bikes in terms of performance and features is nowhere near the delta and the price. And I'm <laughs> gonna I'm gonna buy a set of wheels. Yeah, I get it. And and maybe all look the at things. the Aprilia race kind of. You're gonna okay. have a better suit. You're gonna have the airbag suit. You're gonna have all the. In, even if even if you were just had the money to buy the Panigale V4, I'm gonna buy so many slick tires and yeah. so many track days and and probably this, upgrade the the Jensen bike hauler and yeah, absolutely. You know. Now this is why the death match is still relevant and that you, the shit that we did last year with, with all of those people that we did all the shit with makes us, it makes sense to still produce that. I really hope. No, we will. You still. I was worried that you've given up on it. No, I just I need to stop traveling. Is the problem. Okay, well, stop now. Maybe and maybe get that you out. you come over for a weekend a and we bang these things out. I would be down to do All that because right. right. I'm I'm worried that we have uh, a black mark on us. Uh, even though I didn't really have a whole lot to do with that, I'm worried that yeah, that it's that even though they're still relevant because there's still bikes that people want to hear about. Right. But this is a part of it though, is you got to ride back to back on a track with like tires in South Africa, uh, the R1 and this. Yeah. Very interesting because we didn't have the R1 because the uh, North America uh, Yamaha are a bunch of chicken shit assholes, apparently. 
I didn't, you didn't say that, but I did. So in this case, you got South Africa, like, Hey, what, what do you think? I heard it the other day officially from a Yamaha person that I've been blacklisted from from Yamaha. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, so, so, fair enough. So in this case, would you buy the Aprilia or the Yamaha? Do you think? Oh, no, no question. I'm buying an Aprilia. I, I, I think if I'm buying a bike, I'm buying the Aprilia. Okay. Got it. Uh, it was interesting riding the Yamaha. It was a 2016. Oh, to okay. be fair. So it's tough to be too. fair. So it doesn't have the biggest thing it was missing was the up down shifter. That's the biggest thing that they add. Yeah. For and you know, if you add that, that's a legit thing. I get it. So it, it is what it was really interesting to hop off three bikes that had up and down shifting, quick shifters, to onto a bike that only had up shifting and having to to manage my downshifts again <laughs> you're like so fucking funny like, oh man i gotta i gotta work for well, it we weren't we're not that far away from times when you didn't even have a quick shifter and you had to go all back, my right? bikes that i own don't have quick shifters like so like i should be sympathetic but it is funny how how spoiled we are our one's a really good bike i didn't really get comfortable on it and and here's a great example Quentin. i think we talked a show or two ago about bias and things like that mm-hmm. i think it was last show actually and I'm sitting on that on that R1, and it's doing all the things, and then it is one of the best bikes on the market. Like, let's just be fair. Yep. Um, you know, shitty shitty people aside, it is one of the best bikes on the market. But I could not get enthused by it, and I sat there and I got off of it, and I was like, "Am I not enthused because there are certain things that I feel are missing from this bike? Because I was just riding bikes that do have it, or am I not enthused because?" Riding with this bike comes with a weight and comes with a bias that as much as I try to weed out, I can't because Yamaha North America has been so shitty to asphalt and rubber over the last year. Hmm. And it's like one of those things where like, I don't know if I can remove that bias. I I can be, I can try and be aware of it. I can try and correct for it, but I don't know if my lack of enthusiasm, where that really comes from. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a great bike. I, I think for me, I think, I really think it actually came down to the riding position. I just never really got settled on the riding position it felt very much more like i was on the bike than than in the bike which seemed weird and i would say the suzuki is like the inverse of that where you feel when you ride this is the jixer you really feel like you're you're in the bike you know like that riding position it's very suzuki-esque it's, hmm. it's a part of the dna of the jixer 1000 of is how you sit on that bike in a very certain way and the r1 you very much felt like a jockey on top of it and I usually like that. So, like when the went from nine nine six to the nine nine nine, yeah, it changed completely. Yeah, you're going from sitting on top to sitting in it. I hated it, and then going back to ten eight, where you feel a little bit more on it, but still not compared to a Panigale, which you're really kind of perched on top. Don't you feel? Yeah. What about the V four? You feel the it's v, like an in between. The V four definitely is more perchy, and, and it just kind of occurred to me too. I think another part of it was just gearing. The the second gear on the R1 just wasn't really fit for where that track was. And I had the same issue with the MV where there was just a couple turns where if I was in first gear, I ran out of revs yeah. too quick. I ended up having like yeah. shift too quickly coming out of the the corner that it messed up the flow. But if I was in second, yeah. it, would, it would lug too much. And I had that same kind of issue with the R1 where if I was in the right gear, man, was that motor awesome. Man, was that thing so good. And and when it was good, it was really good. But there's like one or two turns where it was just kind of in between a gear. And I could probably just use like a sprocket change to kind of get me out of that sure. that little trough. It's amazing how poopiness. something that simple can can affect a bike. I think last year when we were on the Jixers at Coda, that was a thing for me is that I eventually settled on running a higher gear, running second gear through a bunch of corners that I really 
needed to be in first gear on, but it was easy enough and the bike was capable to get it out, but not yeah. well. And if we would have adjusted it gearing wise to be either in first gear or in second gear at a, you know, lower then it would have been okay. Uh, I want to, before forget, make a note <clears throat> when we're talking about Yamaha. So Josh Heron this year and AMA Superbike is going with an attack, attack Yamaha and, and Josh coupled together. Uh, I know he's still looking for sponsorships. It's kind of a freestyle gig, but attack Richard because he was he was sponsored by Wiener Schnitzel. He is point. still. Yeah, he is that's still. Cool. I like that, which is great, uh, but not enough to to do a full season yet. I don't think, and I think he's he's. I wouldn't say it's struggling. It's like he's got a program together. They they're building a very trick bike. Uh, Stamboli and the Attack crew are going to do really well to do this. It's awesome. I've been following it because I'm I'm friends with Josh. Uh, truck transporter broke down on the way to road Atlanta in like Louisiana or something. And somehow, some way they weren't able to get the stuff. I, I, it's very unheard of that you can't just swap out a tractor and be like, take a hit, figure out a way to get it. Who knows what happened, whether you got to hire yeah, a, whatever uh, it is, right. Uh, owner operator yep, or whatever, something, you, uh, something happened where they couldn't get the, the, the vehicle to, to road Atlanta, unfortunately. So there's shots of Josh taking his R one S his personal, bike that he has used like if you see any of these oh videos of him yeah. just doing all kinds of crazy yeah. shit on his bike backing it into the corners and doing all kinds of crazy stuff this is his bike with the wiener schnitzel logos on it they are <clears throat> having to build that bike from scratch um and oh, actually one of my old race friends works for him as a technician apparently on the, i saw a picture of him will morton so will is having to create a bike i don't know how they're doing it all I know is that he was seventh fastest and the field's not thin in this class now in AMA or sorry, Moto America Superbike. It's not like he's he's not and you know, he's he's seven out of seven, right? So it was really interesting to see. This was just this morning I saw. I don't know where he qualified or whatever, but the fact that they were able to take a stock beat to shit street bike R1S, S, which doesn't have not nearly the whammy bammy cool stuff no. inside it that the R1 now, did they were they able to swap a motor or do something? I doubt it. I bet it's that because frankly, this goes to what we were talking about that they've plateaued so much that really, where are you at? Like, how fast can you go? Do you need that all that shit to go that extra tenth to be Tony Elias fast? Yes, but can you qualify seventh with with a bike that's probably a couple years old and an AMA Super with the correct rider? Yes, you can, and that's that is of note. I would love to talk to a team owner on how they make the dollars per results calculation because that has to factor into, especially like like just looking at MotoGP. Uh, you know, look at some of these independent teams. He's kind of, let's call them also ran independent teams who are out there being like, okay, how much can I spend on a rider and get like what results? Like, do I need to spend the $2 million to get a Danilo Petrucci and you know, the results that he's going to get me, that probably makes sense, but does it make sense against the hundred thousand dollars I can spend on a Loris Bass? And who's going to come in tenth or whatever? Yeah, I don't, sure. know, where they, I don't know where they're. There's sitting a calculation there, and in in the Moto America paddock, there's that's happening. Yeah, that's why Team Latest. We talked about it on a few podcasts ago. They pulled out. They're like, well, we don't want to do essentially what Josh Heron did and what they could have done, which is qualify well within the top ten, probably top five, if they had Bobby Fong on a super stock bike. But they didn't want to spend the extra money they were going to have to to make a super bike, and it just did to me. It didn't calculate. I'd be like, I totally would do that. It makes sense. You could go out there and do this because the level 
Yeah, you know, you're not. You might not beat Tony Elias and Roger Hayden. You might not the, be in the championship hunt, but you could be in the you're podium be up hunt. there yeah. enough to make your sponsors happy. Yeah. And there's Bobby Fong qualifying, I think, fifth on a on a Kawasaki that is quote unquote a super bike, yeah. but he probably would have been there on a well developed, well set up bike otherwise. Right? Yeah. Interesting thing. It speaks to what we were talking about earlier, and it speaks to the, what you were experiencing um, when you were in Kalaami. So I figured it would be worth bringing no, that up. No, I think it's good. I think it's good. I mean, this is the show of rabbit holes. We are about one-third of the way through today's show. So if you need to take a bathroom break, go get yourself a beverage. <laughs> now would be the time to do so. We'll, we'll meet you back in a minute here. Can can we uh, – or do we – is this a good time to segue? Yeah, you, do you need to – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a drink. You want to get? Do you need to go okay, take we the can bathroom stop. or yeah. something? <laughs> cheese and crackers would probably be. Uh, now I'm feeling the cheese and crackers. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, Quentin. Uh, that was a good little break. I don't. We're gonna have to like put like some like intro like movie theater intermission music or something. I don't know. To, to segue back into this hmm. I'll, figure, I'll figure something out yeah for sure I've, in fact i already have figured something out because because you're you're listening to the show now and it's already happened uh-huh. uh so let's transition from south africa up to morocco so the other end of the continent uh i was out there with bridgestone testing two tires which was really a, a cool experience we're in warzazet which is in the high desert area of morocco it's where they film like gladiator some of the Game of Thrones scenes are filmed out there with Khaleesi and all that. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia was filmed out there. It's, mm. it's actually a really popular movie production area for for that kind of It makes scenic. you wonder why when you think of like how close L.A. is to the desert southwest and that you're... I, like, what is it about the... It doesn't look like L.A. desert. It looks like Moab desert. It's that super red rock. It's super barren. I mean, if we could colonize Mars and figure out how to ride motorcycles there, I feel like riding in Morocco would be the closest thing mm-hmm. to that because okay. it, it is so eerie. It is such a strange um, just landscape of like this just hyper red rock. And I think it's so red. And this is something I haven't quite figured out entirely in my head if it's a... Um, an actual color thing or if it is a visual perception thing because the the landscape is so red when you come across um green foliage if you come across like kind of like that green landscape like in the in the oasis it was really interesting to see like how much of a real thing an oasis is yeah um the green is like this radioactive vibrant green that isn't like a normal green that you and I would see like like looking at a lawn it almost kind of glows. Hmm. And I can't tell if that's just, there's just something in the water. There's some, this is a different variety of, of plant and it just has a different kind of color to it. Or if it is just a perception of like, my eyes are so used to the color red that now they're compensating yeah. when they see the color green. Cause that, that is a thing. Yeah, sure. So very, very interesting. Um, I'll ask my dad, you know, I, I don't if you recall PhD botanist. He might have something to say about, the chlorophyll content of desert <laughs> plants and how they have it differs and has a different type of uh, uh, reflected green. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that was one of the most visually striking things for me. That was one of the coolest things about going to Morocco and experiencing that was was just that landscape and that and that thing. So before we get too far, I was out there with, with Bridgestone riding the Battleaxe 
A41 Adventure Terrain Tire and the Battleaxe T31 Sport Terrain Tire. So mm. we'll take we'll take them in turn. How about that? Yep. So the first day we were out, we're, we're adventure riding. Uh, I spent a lot of time. I was on a GS, uh, R1200 GS Rally BMW, KTM 1090 Adventure S, and a Honda Africa Twin with the DCT. Hmm. So three different bikes, three different tire sizes. Uh, Knobby-ish? No. So this is definitely a 90-10 tire. Okay. And that was one of the things that kind of disappointed me when I got there. Because we were only told adventure and sport turn riding. We didn't really... You're, when you were thinking adventure, you were thinking off-road I'm thinking adventure. we're going to go do the NAR. And that's something that's kind of missing from Bridgestone's lineup is like a true kind of knobby adventure tire. And they know that. And they're working on something. I think we were told like kind of quietly, maybe one to two years, we could see a TKC80 rival tire come out from Bridgestone. Yeah. And I was like, yes, please sign me up. That's something you guys have to have in your lineup. That's such a cool... And make it in a, make Dude, make sure been, there's make sure it comes in a seventeen front and back so we can do some crazy stuff with it. Yeah, that's so funny. What it's been five six years of that tire. There's really been no major. Now what else is out there that's close? There's a Kenda maybe something, but not quite that makes it a one eighty. And in a one eighty, and 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 the big thing is a seventeen inch rim size front and back. Yeah, finding that is really hard because Metzler's got some interesting stuff. Pirelli's got some interesting stuff. Big old blocky knobbies, right. right? And and when you add a knob, like and that's the thing with with me, that's like really hard, like evaluating a ninety ten adventure tire, something like like this this Bridgestone um, A forty one or sorry, uh, yeah, A forty one. The names, the names that Bridgestone comes up with, kind of kill me sometimes. There's an R eleven, there's an S twenty one, there's a T thirty one, there's an A forty one. Keeping them all straight is sure. kind of hard sometimes, but. That's the one thing, like when when I was evaluating the A forty one, that was kind of tough. Is is this idea of like, like off road prowess? We're just like, well, pretty much any round tire on a gravel road more or less works uh-huh. the same. Sure, you're the, we're, and where you're going to see the difference is really like kind of in like the siping and the tread patterns, yeah. not so much in the compound. And so, you know, in a ninety ten tire like this, it's more just like, can you go off road with it? Well, you can kind of go because we did gravel trails. We wouldn't do anything gnarly at all. Which was funny because I think we blew up uh, six KTM cast wheels on these roads. Oh wow! Like they just they just broke like to the point where I think our group and the groups afterwards were no longer allowed to use like the the journalists were no longer allowed to be on the KTM's during the off road section. And they have cast like spokes cast wheels on the eleven ninety on the uh, eleven ninety adventure. Sorry, no the. Those KTMs, KTM twelve ninety Adventure S. If I said eleven ninety earlier, I was wrong. It's a okay. twelve ninety Adventure S. This all is, right. this and is I thought they spike. all had spoked. I didn't even think KTM had any. The S is the more sport leaning adventure model, where the R okay. is got the the spoke. Same bodywork, same look, pretty much. Okay, pretty much. I didn't realize they had that. Like it's kind of like the on the Ducati side, the nine fifty has cast wheels. Instead of spoked like the Enduro, and people are putting those on because you know right. if you want to do the thing, you got to do the thing. That's of note. The uh, these cast wheels off road, they just get beat like yours. You had the bent up wheel well, on your a forged wheel on your hype, yeah, but but yeah, but yeah, not a spoked wheel right. that gives that right. spokes give right yeah. a lot more than you would think. So that sucks. It is. It is what it is. It was just of. I only re- mentioned it because it was one of the things where 
we were on gravel roads, roads that connected places yeah. that passenger cars, no nar scooters, like literally like Honda Cubs with street tires were going down these roads. So it, was, it was actually really funny to see all of us geared up and all of our adventure gear and all these big adventure bikes doing this thing. And like to see like the locals come by on their like Honda Cub equivalent bikes with just too long, too long. I mean, they're going like five, 10 miles an hour, you know, just kind of because they're small displacement. We're at altitude, but it's just kind of funny to see like them just be like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. It reminded me there's this, um, there's this YouTube video. It's great. Of of yeah. of these adventure riders and they get uh, to it, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they the get to this like crossing. water crossing and it looks like it's oh, Southeast what are we Asia. Do? I don't know. And then, yeah, the guy gets off the bike. He's like, "Oh my god, okay, guys, we gotta come up with the plan." Bob, you get a rope. I'm gonna okay. Here's a, let's unlit. Let's take the bags off the bikes. We're gonna dismount. Yeah. Like this is yeah. And it's not that big of a water crossing. It's maybe 10, 10 feet, fifteen feet. Yep. And you see them like kind of like having this thing, and then you just see this guy. I think it is a Honda Cub. Just rip past. Beep, beep, go right through the water and it's like a foot deep and they're just like sitting there going laughing because they're like made this big deal about this water crossing and like how like you know they just they just over analyze uh-huh. the situation and the guy's just like no nah, it's just you just get you just go on the bike and just, just do it go. it felt the same way out there we're like why is this such a big thing but that was the thing because it was so not gnarly of an off-road course for these wheels to be blowing up i thought was of no it's like man we're not even like what rocks are you hitting what potholes yeah. are you hitting there's no steps there's no it is literally a groomed dirt road. No big deal. Uh, the kind of road that you would do like on a 90-10 tire with yeah, no sure. with no issues. Like for me, I wasn't I'm not commenting on the road because of the tire. I'm commenting on just how much damage it did to these wheels. And on a road like that, like a 90-10 tire, I feel like all of them are gonna perform the same. So for me, the real test was when we got off the, the dirt road to see, okay, so what compromises do we have to make? to be able to go do that and still ride on yeah. the street and ride at speed on bikes that have 19 inch, 21 inch yeah. wheels and, and different sizes. And they're heavy. And and they're heavy. And that was the thing that was really interesting. Like, I don't think from a wheel perspective, you could get more different in this category going from a BMW GS to a Honda Africa twin to the adventure. Because I think the adventure had 17s. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. Um, but it was interesting. I had 17, a 19, a 21, a spoke, a cast, you know, kind of all the things. Um, and it was, it was really interesting. I was actually really impressed with how that, that tire handled on the road and, and, and the way it hooked up. And we were, we were riding at a quick pace. And the biggest difference for me that I thought was really striking was getting on the Africa Twin. Because it's a lot less power. But I remember when I rode the Africa Twin in Moab with the, the street tires on it, I was like really poopy. I was like this. I have no front end feeling. I don't feel like I have any grip. Yeah. Uh, I really didn't like riding that bike on road, especially with the DCT. And I still don't really like the DCT on road. Uh, there, I think I think for what the Honda Africa Twin brings to the table off road, it really loses on road. Where I like I would probably get a um, Tiger Eight Hundred because of the compromises that are being yeah. made. And I think I said that a couple shows ago putting the Bridgestones on it really transformed the, the Africa Twin for me. Now I'm starting like, oh, now I'm getting a lot of feedback. Now I'm getting a lot of feel. Now like this, this it feel like I'm getting more grip and I'm hooking up. And it was really interesting to, for me to see how much a tire change could re, really improve yeah. a motorcycle. Sure. So that was really impressive um, from, from the Bridgestone team and what they've done with that tire. And um, 
yeah, I'm actually, I really like that A41 for, for adventure turn. I came away impressed with all three tires that I got to ride in Africa. I don't want to sound like effusive about like all the positives, but like yeah. it really was three tires that I think are leading their categories and doing quite well. And, and if you can find a better tire than them, I think that's, that's an impressive thing to say. So the A41, um, I got, I would love to ride in the wet. That was the one thing, especially for an adventure train tire. We really would yeah. have benefited from a rainy day Sure, that, that the high desert didn't bring us because it would be curious to see what that wet weather grip would be like. But, um, yeah, it was quite, it was quite impressive. And then the next day we jumped on to the T31 and that tire, Quentin, that's the tire that you're putting on your Multistrada. That, that's the one for, for, for getting miles and sport touring, um, Rode that on the KTM twelve ninety Super Duke GT, mm. so high horsepower bike, Suzuki GSXS one thousand F, and that horrifically ugly thing. So ugly. Is it? Is that coming in the United States? Yeah, it's in the U.S. Oh my god! I don't. I've never even seen a picture of one. I don't understand that bike. Um, we'll get to that in a second because I think riding those bikes was was an interesting okay. thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then then BMW R twelve hundred R. And our, I mean, we had a crazy day of middle of nowhere, 100 mile an hour plus, crazy sidewinds, you know, 30 mile an hour plus gust sidewinds where you're riding the bike at a 45 degree angle in a straight line. Yeah. To the point, like we, we stopped at one point and we were, we were talking, it's like the only time I've ever had to go through a turn at speed and the bike was straight up and down because of the way the, the physics was with the wind blowing the other direction. <laughs> so eerie. Yeah. But really impressed. I was really, really impressed with how much grip that that tire had and what kind of mileage that they're quoting that you're going to be able to get out of it. So for the sport touring crowd, I think that's really something that it's got to do a lot to, at. to uh, fuck with the Michelin, right? Whatever the Michelin. And I can't. I'm sorry. I don't remember. Pilot, road three four five Fives. and yeah. whatever it is right i i they just I've, did the launch for the michelin power road five i believe got it so that one i had been on a three i think because it came with a bike and i have to admit i was happy with the way it was as we were talking about earlier cold grip wet grip it's all i cared about it just so happens that they wear like iron i did a track day on them i think it was threes it might have been fours at least the the front was a three so a track day where not a full day, but it was like surprisingly grippy. I put somebody on back and and rode actually my partner Jet on back for a, a lap or two, and it was amazing. So I was kind of like, well, I'm not normally a Michelin person, but I'll I'll say that these are good, right? I'll I'll keep buying these if I can. I ended up spooning on a Pirelli just because it was cheap and easier. I had one or something. Uh, so we'll see how that goes for this coming season, but I'm used to those, right? Whatever the normal Pirelli that comes on all the Multistratas and shit, right? Yeah. With a little bit more sipe than normal. So we'll see if, uh, you know, the Bridgestone, I haven't ridden those in a long time. I used to run those, uh, whatever the Bridgestone was in the early 2000s, uh, a sport touring tire, and it worked pretty well. The thing was, they got so horrible when they were near the end of their life, whereas at the time, like say a Dunlop, if it, it could be at the wear bars or showing cord, still feels pretty good. The the Bridgestones did not. They were like compromised heavily. I think the way the tire, the siping was, it would create uh, uh, waves in it. It would, it would huh. get cupped in a really bad way. And there are certain tires that just do that. Some of these Pirellis do that really bad, depending on the bike. So 
you know, you kind of have to just take the good with the bad. That's how the fronts are going to wear. They're going to wear and then they're going to feel kind of wobbly and nasty. But it would it would force my ST into like a tank slapper. If I took my hands off, I'll never forget this, going down my driveway, not my driveway, but the street I was on, I went to adjust my tank bag, just pulling out of the driveway and the thing started doing the, the tank slapper deal like a 1980 mid 80s honda vf1000r scariest freaking thing you ever because you're not expecting it you're expecting it tracks and i eventually just had to change the tire i was no other reason sure enough it was fine so from me that point i was like i was skeptical of bridgestones that and then anybody that i've known that races them usually ends up in tears um they used to call them tombstones but again this is all you know, information from 20 years ago. So knowing that they did pretty darn well for me as a, as a all year touring tire on my ST back then, they stay, and we know what they're capable of. And then we know what they did in the MotoGP realm. They're definitely worthwhile to look at. So that would be like, if I'm going to impart anything to the listeners, if you're saying, Hey, this is worth checking out. You got to think about the history of it and then say, Hey, if you're saying they're that good, they feel that good. Might be worth a try, at least, you know? We um, we actually did an interview with Motor Podcast. that will come out after this show. It's going to be a few shows um, in the queue still for, for the Motor Podcast. But uh, Randy Skates, Brooke, and Adam Wahid and I, we sat down in, in Morocco and talked about it. And all three of us, we all like the adventure tire. We all love the sport training tire, the, the T31. Because I think because of the performance, because we were not going slow that day. Yeah. And we were hauling and the three the of you like, together is a, and that's something that's of note to listeners and our readers. You got to have that context. If you're just putting around and you're on your own, that's one way to evaluate. But if you and I are hauling ass like that one time, we're coming back from Easter. Yeah, Oregon, I know what you're talking about. We, we were going really good. And that's, that's that flow that you get into. And if you can evaluate in that time, not just the putting around, enjoying the tire for what it is and maybe giving it the beans a couple times to see if it does a little slippy slip of Jawea. But you and I were fucking on it, like laying darkies bad. Um, and that is the way you want to evaluate it. If that's how yeah. good old Eastern Oregon chip seal, how does it do? You know, and that's how you want it. In this case, on Moroccan roads. Some of the roads were really good. Some of them are really bad. Yeah. Uh, it really depends what road you're on. We had one that was just potholes and gravel and all the, you know, it just looked like that road had been bombed out for the And they didn't get too spooky with years. that T31? And they handled that crap fine? They did really well. Yeah. Good. And that, that was the thing. Like, you just, I can't say anything bad about it. That's why I'm like, Quentin, you got to try these out. Because I can't say anything bad about it. I want to get a set for, for um, I need to get like a touring bike in my garage. I got to find a, a long-term loaner for, for the summer. That's what I'd be spooning on to, to, to get more time. Because I think that's going to be pretty rad. Um, again, didn't get to ride in the wet. We had a pretty big range of temperatures, but it wasn't like it was freezing cold. It wasn't sure. like it was burning hot, but we went from, you know, uh, low 50s to mid 70s over the course of the day, maybe really low 50s. I don't think we got into the 40s, but, you know, we had a pretty big temperature change. It was like the, the, the potential there is really cool. And we even said in our own conversations, like, you know, we're only getting about 40% of a tire test out of this launch because of, of conditions and what you can only, you can only see so much out of a tire in one week. What does it look like at the end of life? I don't know. Well, we only did, I mean, we did like 500 miles on these tires, but yeah, that's a fraction of what these Turing's Turin, focused tires will do. We'll call up Bridgestone, get a set coming over here. I'll put them on my multi. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll, I'm serious too. I'd try them out. Yeah. I, I think, I think you'd be impressed. You could definitely drag me on this tire. That's how great the grip was because it's got that, again, that multi compound. So the side grip is fantastic. You could probably drag me 
all day long. In the danger zone on the the tire. And then, you know, the up and down miles, it seems, um, it seems quite good. Okay. So riding, riding the bikes, let's talk about the bikes a little bit. I really like that 1290 Super Duke GT. I think that's, I think that's Super Duke GT. That one that's like hideously ugly. So ugly. With a pointy nose. So ugly. Yeah. Love it. Did you ever read Mad Magazine? Yeah. Spy spy versus spy. versus spy. Right. That looks That's like exactly one what it looks like. Or uh, Beetlejuice the movie. There's one scene where they have to make themselves look scary. The two, the couple that's trying to get out of hell or whatever, or purgatory, and they they do this thing where they stretch their faces. That's what it looks like. It's horrible, but you're saying it works really well. So you get on it. It's like getting on the bike is the equivalent of a paper bag. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And you have to kind of have a paper because there's a couple things about that bike that are like really dated. <laughs> like like KTM and their hand controls are just so janky. They look like they're they're rapid prototype parts. Yeah. Like they're so rough. Yeah. And, and kind of oversized. They're like bigger than they yeah. should be by a long like a lot. Yeah. yeah, sure. And it had some like weird issues with the dash electronics and like like the screen was having like a visual error. Like you could, you would switch the riding mode and and like the bottom half of the word would change and the top half of the word oh, would stay the yeah. same and you're like what is that? So weird little things like that where you're like so this is a twenty thousand dollar bike huh? Mm. Does not feel like it. But motor chassis that's and I was telling this to I think I was telling this to a KTM person the other day I was like you guys get the hard stuff right and you fuck up the easy stuff and if you just stop fucking up the easy stuff you would have like such a great product out there like i don't know how you would not buy your product if you just got the yeah. easy stuff right it's kind of the same with mv too yeah i'm remembering that's what i was just thinking in my head you've said the same yeah, thing where they it's get like, the motor and the chassis the motor good. and the chassis character are so hard to do and you get that so right and then you fuck it up with like a dash that you can't read yeah but i think you're mistaking that that's the easy stuff you're that's the mistake i think this firmware knowing what i know <sighs> from working with alta i'm understanding that you mean Alta, pieces, the company that has the worst dash on the market? Sure, but what are you going to do? That brick? It is. It is, and they know it, but you get to you get it to market, right? You got to get it to market. In this case, does KTM, they have, oh my gosh, how much more money and time and energy and effort getting into it, but that is harder in a lot of cases than the countless engine dynos, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, you know the I think firmware it, and software is what I'm saying. Here's, 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 a great, here's a great way of looking at it. Uh, I almost called you Jensen. This is how jet like I am. This That's is how impressive. jet like I am. I like that. I've never had that one happen before. <laughs> the person calling me their name. That's their own name. Wow. Uh, it's worse in the bedroom. Let me tell you. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> oh my god! I'm so jet lagged. I'm just, I'm just loopy. Um, it comes down to core competencies in a way. When you look at, and this is one of my one of my concerns, looking at the motorcycle industry as electronics become a bigger thing. Yeah, sure. Where especially software, if like we're going to talk about connected motorcycles, yeah. and and you know we had Web 2.0, Web 3.0, we're going to get into like this motorcycle 2.0, where vehicles are going to start talking back to factories over Wi-Fi and yep. interconnected vehicles, V to V communications, automation. We're, we're all a, that a stuff. chip away on our bikes from that. A chip away from that. Yeah. Right. But so so look at that and understand that for most of these brands, their core competency isn't software. Their core competency isn't vehicle controls. Their core competency is like building like KTM. Their core competency is building a chromoly steel trellis frame and more recently motorcycle engines. 
because they're using road tax for a long time. And it's the same thing with Ducati. Ducati's like core competency is building Desmodromic valve engines, V-twin engines. That's their core competency. And then there's chassis, some stuff, but they don't make suspension because Olin's or Socks or Marzocchi does that for them. And it comes back all to this thing. So you start getting into, yeah, you know, for MV, like user interface design, user experience design isn't necessarily a core competency for them. Now, vehicle industrial design in terms of the shape of the vehicle, I would say it's a very strong core competency for them. You know, Adrian Morton and his team, that is, they're probably one of the best in the industry in terms of making beautiful motorcycles that when they are sitting still, still make me have like a visceral reaction. And then the engineering side has done a good enough job with their, their engine and chassis design. When I ride it, I, I get all the feels as well. It, so I think it just comes down to like for motorcycle companies, that level, that layer, that whatever user interface software dash control design it's just really not one of their core competencies and it's that's where you see like the weakness and and that's where i think there's a lot of growth for a lot of brands you know i'll throw alts under that bus i'll throw ktm under that bus i think brands like ducati have caught on that that's a part of their weakness and like have yeah. have made great strides like i think ducati has one of the better interfaces out there and they have the, for almost a decade like when the multistrada came out in 10 that's pretty good even then it was easy to navigate and it was a pretty complex system with electronic suspension and the traction control and all that right abs so they had it at that time it was actually quite impressive to be part of that at the time to to be in it you know teaching people how to use it because it wasn't that difficult yeah. right bmw i'll get to give another shout out bmw does a fantastic job with their user experience and user interface with the the, the scroll it wheel comes and the from handlebar, the car world, though, doesn't it? The right? TFT, the big TFT yep. dash, very smart. And and it's not even just like having like touch and feel. It's like navigating through the systems yeah. and being able. Because like one of the things I learned. So in the last two three weeks, I've hopped on like twelve different bikes. Most of these bikes I hadn't spent any time on before. Sure. So you have to learn these systems on the fly, and it's a great lesson on how quickly or how intuitively are these bikes designed and laid out yeah. where a person that hasn't had the chance to read the fucking manual or hasn't had a dealer or a can you just press get on person, it and do the thing yeah how quickly can you get in and change the settings and do the things and get it the way you want it to be that's really interesting and some bikes really excel at that and some bikes really don't so and it's funny you say ktm because at the desert 100 one of my good buddies big tall brent he's riding yeah yeah, yeah. newish friend of the show a friend of the show uh big tall brent um has a man i'm gonna forget the alphabet soup of it's a 500 enduro street legal ktm oh it's like ex exc maybe f but i don't know you know what i mean always throw an f in there it's close just always like ktm just throw an f in there you're probably safe and he was trying to figure out how he was going to navigate because he had a roll chart but then you have to reset your odo and he had two trips on it and it it was fairly intuitive but not perfectly. And we had to look, I, I looked up the directions cause he was kind of like getting ready and he was like, Oh shit, I forgot I have to do that. I'm like, hold on. And so I'm pull it up on my Samsung galaxy phone, which is a superior thing. Check it out, figure it out, get it. And it's like not, not too difficult. And, and it maybe not the most intuitive, but you know, you have to press the, it's a plus or a minus or something. Bottom line though, is for him, it wasn't like click done. It right. wasn't a button, two buttons on the side. Like you would see, 
I don't know, on most bikes over yeah. the past few decades right? where setting the trip is the easiest possible thing that you could do so that you can set it for, frankly, for fuel mileage. That's what most people, yeah. I still use it because I don't trust fuel sending units nowadays because I've seen so many fail over the past 15 years. I don't years. own a single motorcycle with a fuel gauge, so, right? so I you, have to use You have to do the trip and it makes sense and it's a good way to gauge the health of your bike. Do you, are you getting shitty gas mileage? You need to clean your air filter, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people don't think of it like that. They just think, you know, I, I'll just use a fuel gauge. Like, nah, me, mechanical sympathy. I want to know how long I'm going on each tank every time. And, and unfortunately on like my new or my new, but old Multistrat 1100, it's got a really fucky thing where it doesn't burp. There's two different chambers in the fuel tank. Cause it's a stupid turbulence design, stupid, Terbanche design. And is that a Terbanche issue or I'm is that an engineering sure issue? No, I guarantee it's Terbanche. Right. You know who you, was in charge of engineering when that bike came out? Claudio, probably. Claudio. Yeah. Yeah. I think they had to make some concessions to make that thing work. And it's funny. I think it makes sense. All right. So to, to make it a little bit more clear to you, you fill up the tank in the same, the normal place as you would between your knees. It's a normal fuel tank there, but then it goes underneath the seat and back all the way back. There's like because that makes sense. Well, if you look at <laughs> where Superbike has gone, look at every fuel tank in a world Superbike or frankly MotoGP. You see a lot of them where the fuel is being kept right under the, under the rider. Seat. Yeah, 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 that's common. That's so common. That, but that wind around is no, is, and yeah, it goes kind of goes up and kind of banana shaped, and it's awful. And so, if I don't slowly add gas. Like you can't use the full gun when you're adding gas, then it won't burp. It'll get to full and I'll be like, okay, I'm going. And I go and I don't pay attention to the, how much I just added or I don't, if I'm getting gas early or something, which we have to do in Oregon very often, I don't pay attention to it. And then boom, I run out of gas at hundred miles instead of 140. Right. So I have to keep an eye on the, on the mileage. Pat it and burp it like a baby. Well, you, <laughs> you have to just fill slow and then you have to rock it back and forth. It's a, it's a thing. It's horrible. This is why motorcyclists are allowed to pump their own gas in Oregon because the gas station attendant here would never just know lose that, their right? mind. Yeah, sure. They screw that up for and sure. And this is why people like me are idiots for being like sycophantic lick asses when it comes to Ducatis because it's like, really? But You, you designed that how? The, the could bike, you, do, do you think you could have designed a, a more ass backwards way of doing like something convoluted shitty thing like, i don't think but, you could do it if you tried but here's the deal the, by the bike handles well and that's why one of the reasons why is because that mass centralized fuel okay priorities enough. priorities right speaking Core of competency right speaking of mass centralized fuel let's talk about the suzuki gsx 1000 f and how it has none of those things oh my god <laughs> <laughs> ass centralized this is such a this is such a weird <laughs> such a weird bike so they took the not the current year jixer 1000 but no, the they previous generation jixer yeah. 1000 retuned the motor to have a little yeah. bit more mid-range than high end sure but it's the same chassis and they basically just put as like a jixer 1000 yeah it's huh. that same chassis as the older one yeah. move the foot pegs around a little bit not really not really and then put a flat bar on it and it's like this weird it's it's a capital S lowercase T sport tour. And it's this weird, like it's it's not comfortable to ride because <laughs> your your feet are still in like kind of a super bike riding position. Yeah. The seat is still that brick of a super bike seat. And then you're kind of more upright and you've got the the flat bars. It's but, flat, not clip-ons, not a burnt bent on the handlebar though. Right. Huh. Right. Like a drag bar almost. Kind of. Yeah. Ew. And it's just like. And, and, and by the way, this thing is ugly. So it's it, unfortunately. Let's ugly. just say the looks are very polarizing. 
Uh, really? Where some people like, I some love it. Some people think it looks ugly and no people think it looks great. <laughs> Which is so sad when you think of, say, I think the new GSX-R1000 is one of the best looking bikes that's ever come out of Suzuki or in just in general. It has a timeless look. Timeless it, look. Listen yeah, to this, ladies and I gentlemen. do. I say that bike that we were riding last year, we take away a lot of the graphics and it smooth flowing, not, not a, it might like your old R1. Right, the polar opposite in the new R1, which is planned obsolescence, ugly as a fucking. I like the new R1. Oh looks. god, I think they're shitty. Really? But yeah. it, it's got that weird Quasimodo headlight thing. They got it on the R6. They figured out how to looks, put the R6 looks really right. Good. You, they yeah. put those headlights there, but you don't notice them on the R1. It looks yeah. um, like it's missing, or yeah. at, I think it you what it has more than the chromosomes that it needs. So yeah. I think that's the deal. It has extra chromosomes. So it's gross. I don't like it. It's a bad deal. This bike, the Suzuki, looks good now. And there's been a couple of Jixers that kind of don't stand the test of time, but most of them do. Whereas then they create something like this, or like the Gladius. Like when you think oh. of Suzuki's design, oh, the Gladius was culture. Such a, oh. When you think of how bitchin' the SV650, just perfectly good-looking motorcycle, they hacked it right the fuck up and made it awful. And now they're back to SV650 again. It looks good, right? So anyway, uh, this thing should see it. Look, when you posted the picture, I'm like, ah, uh, what is that? I didn't even know what it was. Ah, I was kill like, it with fire. Ah, uh, 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 burn it. Right? It has a weird kind of frowny look and uh, gross. It does kind of have like a, a mopey kind of face to wah, it. Wah, wah, yeah. I lost my tail. Yeah, a little bit right. of that. It, it vibes. I think my biggest issue with it is if you're going to cruise, there's like a weird vibration. It's just, it's not a great bike to put down miles. And yeah, that's the point. It's not a great bike to like go sporty with. I mean, it's not bad. It does. It just doesn't do anything good. Not that it necessarily does it bad. It just yeah. doesn't really do it good. There's a lot of other bikes out there. And the, having a pain point like vibes, fuck it. It's yeah, like, it's a know. little too. And and it's just feature wise, I'd have to look at the price. And I think they're priced pretty aggressively. I'm sure it is. But we all kind of like in the group are like, mm, nope. Mm, who wants to ride the Jixer ass? No, no, no one. No, mm. okay. Who wants to get the hero shot? Jensen. Yeah. Because it was a good look. It was a, great, a great shot. shot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Except for the bike. If you could just bag the bike yeah if you haven't if you haven't seen my instagram there's a great panning or sorry tracking shot that we did on it at the launch and uh looks fantastic it's just it's a shame it's that bike um i was surprised you know hopping on the bikes i forgot how much fun the the bmw boxer engine can be it's not mm -hmm. an engine i'm usually very positive about but i was like you know what i still wish every it had, once in a while they do a I thing still wish yeah. it had more power but it's it's so linear in its delivery. This is a, a water cooled thing. Yeah, R eleven hundred. I did it on R the R twelve hundred R, and I was also on the R twelve hundred GS Rally. Yeah, I can't remember what the R twelve hundred R looks like. Is it? It's the, a naked bike. Yeah, yeah. But a standard. Yeah. Okay. I I wouldn't call it a street fighter, but you could Ish. call it a street okay. fighter. Got it. Um, it was interesting hopping on that GT. I really like the GT, the Super Duke GT. I just wish it had the quality feel yeah. that fit and finish that's kind of missing from ktm's line right now um so it was interesting riding those bikes it was interesting riding all those bikes in morocco morocco is an amazing place was it hot hot ish i mean it depended it on the day it depended Africa on hot. depended on our day we had some hot days and we had some not okay. so hot days um really i mean i don't want to like extrapolate too much from because we were kind of like in the boonies of morocco we weren't near like the capital and the bigger yeah. cities. Um, Marrakesh? Marrakesh, yeah. Marrakesh. And Marrakesh. And Marrakesh and <laughs> Casablanca, obviously. We weren't we weren't anywhere no. near that. Here's looking at you. 
um, all the gin joints, Quentin. But it, it was an interesting experience to see that that country and and to to experience the people. The people were so nice to us. Uh, I speak a little French, so that probably helps. We oui. um, and and to then contrast that with with South Africa and and the kind of like the culture of Johannesburg and understand that like I think for us in the West we paint africa with this oh stupidly this big it's, brush yeah. and and it's just too big of a place that's just too diverse like having just gone to those two places and knowing that there's so many things between between those two countries or you know so many cultures and other countries themselves and i i got to work a little bit on the rwandan genocide uh, case when i was with the un i never was in rwanda but i got to touch that, that. is that the last king of scotland thing no no i forget which no. which Rwanda was basically Belgium's problem. Yeah. If you're Belgian, that was kind of a King Leopold thing uh, that we, like, truthfully, like, that was literally a problem that was created by the West. No, I can't imagine. Yeah, it was kind of a thing. Um, go watch Hotel Rwanda if you want to understand the Rwanda genocide. They do a fantastic job. That movie does a fantastic job. Is of, Don Cheadle in that? That is, yeah, oh, Don okay. Cheadle. I've seen that. Now I'm trying to remember which one it was with. Uh, Forrest Whitaker, who is the yeah, that's the, the last king of Scotland. Is it? I want to say that is Nigeria. Yeah, so I'm sorry Congo, that I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking like Congo, that. but I don't know. Okay, sub-Saharan. Bottom line is, it would be like trying to say North America from you know Winnipeg to Phoenix, Arizona to and understand Mexico that City yeah. and saying, oh well, you're all one, and that that's would just still one be the Diet Coke version of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, stratification, so it was interesting. It was really interesting to go see those places. Um, riding in Morocco, I think it for for the Europeans, it's like them going to Mexico. You know, it's literally just a yeah. hop across the Mediterranean and go down there and you go ride, and it's it's cheaper and everyone's really welcoming. It's really friendly for Westerners. It's very safe. Never felt Uganda uh, unsafe. Last King of Scotland, Uganda. Uh, okay. Uh, and then South Africa was like a whole nother. Does it feel, does it have an antipodal feel like Australia because kind of the, of. yeah, you know, it was really, it was really weird because a lot of the infrastructure was really modern. They all, they drive on the left-hand side of the road uh, as a carryover from, from the, the colonial days. Side. Yeah. Um, and, and like in Johannesburg, like very modern buildings, modern infrastructure, newly paved roads and all yeah. these systems. But on the flip side, like still like, no water. Crazy, hectic. I was surprised by how many people were selling things. Like, yeah. like not just like, oh, hey, I'm trying to sell you a banana. I'm trying to sell you Coke, although that was part of it. But yeah. also like, hey, I'm in my AT&T shirt and I'm trying to sell you cell phone yeah. plans while you're in your car at the stoplight. Like that is very much a thing. Huh. Like established brands. Like that's a part of their marketing program. I was like, man. Kind of chaotic. That's going to come to the US at some point. So like a great example was. This is a great. This is a great nutshell example of, of South Africa, and I can contrast it with a, a similar version for Morocco. South Africa. I got to the airport four hours early because we took one bus of everyone in it to the airport, and I had a later flight. And so I'm thinking, and you all barely right, made it on. Was yeah, well, I did. So here's here's why, right? So I'm thinking like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get in early. I'll go sk- sit in the Sky Lounge, you know, maybe grab a shower, hang out, do some Wi-Fi, get some work done. No big deal. I can kill time in an airport because yeah. I've accrued so many do. freaking miles now. Yeah. I can do that. I barely got onto my plane on time. The The line to get through the first security checkpoint, which was just passport control, literally took three hours to the point like some random airport worker 
you know, the guy that wheels you around in the wheelchair, like for the, for the elderly and the invalid, yeah. he comes up to me. He's like, Hey man, when time's your flight? I'm like, you know, seven o'clock. He's like, you're going to miss your flight. You need to get in this, uh, this wheelchair right now. I'll get you through security real Shut quick. The front door. Did you do it? Just put 20 bucks in my hand right now. And I was just like, you know, like me, like Westerner, like, I'm like, ah, oh, no, 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 I'm fine. I'll be, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I'm not huh. really, I'm not really into bribing people and yeah, getting yeah, ahead. Yeah. Like, it's just if not a part of my, going back, you would have done it. It's just not a part of my, not part of my culture. Um, and now like I look at like, I, I'm, I mean, I got through security fine. But I was like, this legitimately took like three hours. Like he was not necessarily wrong that I might miss my flight. Yeah just for passport control and then you go and you go through like security control which is a total joke of just like i walk through the the metal detector i don't have any metal on me whatsoever it goes off they just kind of look at me and go okay you're fine i don't i put my bag through i don't take anything out and then you know and it you know they don't care then you get to the gate and then because it's an american flight then there's like a tsa approved third party security oh, company Jesus. that's like strip searching everyone TSA approved so that you can come to the state so I can so I can fly to the US and be safe and you understand because the security is so lax at the Johannesburg airport You're yeah. Like, yeah of course you have a secondary screening protocol gross and you go into like this like holding pen of people and you know what I thought I had a four-hour window to get to my flight I basically got to my gate right as they started boarding my group to go in and I was like wow what a crazy and the idea that like a credentialed airport staff person would take a bribe to get me through security was of no, it was like, so like I'm in this kind of like modern place, but it still kind of has that like third world ecosystem, like a bribe can get you along. And I heard that too, when we were out in, um, out by Kruger, when we were riding, they're like, Hey, if you get pulled over by the cops for speeding, you know, negotiating the price in dollars will help you get out of that ticket. Yeah. You know, so, like a hundred dollar bill in their hand will definitely get you out of that ticket. And it was like an interesting thing to see, like that's still a part of like the, the financial ecosystem of, of there, despite it having like a lot of the modern trappings from the Western world. And that's one of the things I'd heard about South Africa was because there had been so much investment by European nations in building infrastructure. That's what's allowed it to be one of the more stable, um, countries in the yeah. in the space whereas uh, uh and it was interesting to see that in morocco too when they were investing a lot in their roadways and we got to see we literally were on a road that they were still finishing paving while we were on it and we had to transition from the asphalt to the dirt and then on some of the roads obviously they still were dirt and how much investment they were putting into their um transportation and infrastructure and things like that and i've heard that about other african countries that haven't fared as well because of so much political upheaval and unrest. Sure. No one, because a lot of this infrastructure is being put in by companies, like companies that are usually mining things out of the yeah, ground. of course. And so there's these, there's this dichotomy of some of the countries that are more stable, companies are more willing to put in the money and build up roads and build up hotels and put and build those kind of things in because they're like, we know we're going to get our investment back. But the countries that are less stable, they're like, no, why would I invest... $20 million in roadways when in two years the regime is going to change. I'm going to have to buy off the next you know set of people. Like There's just no point in us putting money in here. We'll just deal with the gravel roads. It'll take us longer to get our diamonds or whatever out of the ground. But at least we're not worrying about paying off the wrong people because it's just always a round robin of, of yeah. political officials. So I thought that was really interesting. And then you go to Morocco and it's just kind of more um rural is the word i was going to use but it's not it's not rural but it was just more provincial yeah that's a good way of putting it 
It was really but interesting. But you'd think it would be good relative to people coming in from Europe so they have their system set up better because there's a lot of tourism, no? I mean, better, yeah. It's just... Um, Not as much? It just You just didn't see as much like colonial influence, yeah. I think, was the better way of putting it. Huh. Um, every, everything still felt... It actually felt more Middle Eastern. Yeah. Uh, for anything. Whereas, well, as, isn't that kind yeah. of the part of parcel of that whole North Africa yeah, situation? Absolutely. And it, that and it the is. The religion it, is going to permeate through to culture. And I believe it is a Sunni Muslim country. Um, Sunni Sunni Islam. Sunni than later, right? Um, so it was interesting. Like, but it was interesting to see that because I, I felt more close to the outskirts of Doha and Qatar than huh. it did, you know, anywhere yeah. else. Whereas. South Africa definitely felt more like this could be, this could be England. I mean, it's it's obviously not, but yeah, it could be. It. Sure, and just kind of like look and feel. So, or or Australia, right? Yeah, exactly. New Zealand, exactly. something like that. Australia is a great example because it does have that reminiscence of like the Western influence, yeah, got but also the, kind of this this frontier. Yeah, they they have to do feel. their own thing. They're yeah. that far away. They're yeah. super far away. That's Annie Poda's right. The yeah. exact yeah. opposite of. Yeah. 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 Very, very curious. Um, Quinn, we had about 12 other things we we're going to talk about, but I think we're going to have to leave it for next time. Yeah. I'm with you. But good to be back in the United States. Really interesting uh, uh, trips to go see, just from like a personal experience to go see Africa and see two very different countries in Africa. Really great riding experience on, on three different sets of tires. I was really impressed with with all of them. I'd probably, probably put any of those tires on, on their respective bikes in my garage and be pretty happy. Um, they definitely rank high on my list. Do they feel good when you're putting the kickstand down? On you know, I think I was the only journalist that tested that has a kickstand test now <laughs> in their in their review. They all passed with flying collars. Didn't have a single kickstand issue because of the tires. <laughs> um, I really though like, I think it helped having having spent so much time with you on this podcast because I could really get in the mindset of a motorcyclist who like really needs a kickstand and wants to and put is it up. really interested in how. And how like the kickstand goes both up and down and how, cause tires are such a huge part of that, Quentin. <laughs> I don't think people realize like, because before you can put the kickstand up, you kind of have to bring the bike up upright and you're going to have that, that rolling diameter of the tire. Oh, sure. They could slip and slide away. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is the, the earliest test of cold weather or cold tire grip yeah. is that, that kickstand yeah. pivot. I mean, <laughs> so thank you for that. Uh-huh. I appreciate you're it. You're welcome. Yeah. All right. All right. Good talk. I'll see you out there. All right. Later. Oh, so close. I was like right there. I literally almost had it again. Oh, so frustrating. Your faculties. My faculties. They've left. My beautiful mind. They must not be tenure. I'm like, I'm like flowers for Algernon right now. What is that? Oh, good book. Good book. Read that. Flowers for Algernon. Algernon. Yeah. I have a hard enough time listening to a podcast, let alone read a book. Yeah. We'll get you like a book on book on podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs>